episode of What Is My Podcast About? A podcast where, on a basis of once every two weeks, we sit down and try to figure out just what the hell we want to talk about with our podcast. This week I am your host, Matthew Grace, and as usual I am joined by Peter. Hello! And Keith. How's it going? Pretty good, how are you? I didn't expect a response to that, so I'm just going to stop there. Okay. I was worried a whole ass fucking conversation was going to break out and I'd just be sitting here watching it happen. <laughs> so yeah, as uh, one of my old teachers would say at the start of every class, what's going on in the world today? I immediately dislike your old teacher. I'll just like get that out in front of any other discussion. He was a character. It was a technical communications class. So communication was mandatory. I don't know if that was a pun or not. No, but, um, uh, <laughs> so. Are you sure it wasn't? I'm positive. Anyway, moving on. So what's going on with you guys? Uh, lots of stuff. The world is a great place, as evidenced by the existence of the Snyder Cut of Justice League. It's four hours long, because it needs to be, I guess. Uh, they, I, I suppose it kind of makes sense. It was designed for streaming at home where you can just fucking pause and go take a bathroom break whenever you need it. No one's watching this in theater, so he could make it fucking however long he goddamn wants. It is... I will just say that it is <laughs> definitely better than the theatrical release of uh, Justice League. That's what I've been hearing, yeah. It did not need to be... For there are so many uses of fucking slow motion in this movie. It's, it's Snyder. I know. But it's one of those things where, like, whenever you see, like, Flash running at full speed and you do that in slow motion, that makes perfect sense to me. That's a big, like, bullet time shenanigans. When you have just a regular-ass human running in football, that does not need to be in fucking slow motion. There's a reason your movie is four hours long. I know it probably wasn't there, because Snyder makes everything slow-mo, but what if it could have been a really funny scene? Was having everyone in slow-mo, and it looks like a slow-mo shot, and you just see the flash moving through at normal speed? Yeah, that <laughs> didn't happen, but easily could have fucking happened. I love whenever movies do things like that. Just like uh, one of the X-Men movies in Quicksilver. Yeah, when the fucking Quicksilver the... fucking pioneered the scene of yeah. the one guy going at super speed while everything else is in Time in a bottle and sweet dreams. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the movie overall was really good. It was broken up into, I believe, five chapters and an epilogue, or maybe six chapters and an epilogue. Um, honestly, if you're going to watch it at home, I highly recommend just treating it like a miniseries and just watch a chapter and then take a break. Don't just sit down and watch the full four-hour experience all at once. You're just going to have an easier time if you break it up into digestible pieces. Because then you can, like, talk about it with the people you're around and interact with other human beings. Yeah, I heard that the main things that it does really fix is the fact that for the original theatrical cut, it was introducing a lot of new characters at the time that weren't really used aside from Batman and Superman and kind of Wonder Woman. Yeah, so Wonder Woman already had her movie at the time that Justice League came out. Uh, so all those characters had some sort of backstory. They were known entities. Um, this one does still, like, it does a lot better job establishing the characters, uh, beforehand. Uh, due to the way the movie is, it kind of feels very much so just like a cyborg movie that other characters happen to be in. Yeah. But given that he's probably the least well-known out of any of those characters, he needed the most backstory setup. And the way his character is written, he wouldn't get involved in the plot until this movie happened. So they kind of needed this movie to be largely based around his character. So it makes sense why it is that way. 
Yeah, it was him and Flash got a lot of work done for their intros, where I guess Aquaman, where his movie came out afterwards, but this is kind of retroactive, it kind of already wrote itself. Yeah, like we even get to see some of Aquaman's backstory in the fact that we get introduced to Mira and the guy who's played by Willem Dafoe. I forget his character's name, but we see Mira and Willem Dafoe's character. Is it the drum octopus? I hope it's the drum octopus. It's not quite the drum octopus. Uh, anyways, we see both of them who are characters who are established in Aquaman. So it, there's a little bit of stuff that could have very easily been originally written as set up for the Aquaman movie. Because mm-hmm. this does still chronologically take place before that. Uh, but yeah, it's not much of his backstory because he does have a movie establishing his character. Uh, so far, the only clip that I've watched uh, is the one everyone talked about uh, for being like probably one of the best scenes in the movie. And that was the Flash when he saves Iris. Yeah, that scene is uh, pretty great. Uh, I will say another... All of my favorite scenes, honestly, are Flash scenes, which is kind of depressing. What do you mean? The Flash is great. No, it's just depressing that the one character is my favorite part of the entire movie. Because <laughs> um, there's a scene where he talks early on in the movie about how whenever he goes faster than... Or approaches the speed of light, time gets all wonky. And so he sets that boundary of himself. He's not going to go faster than the speed of light. And then... At the end of the movie, he goes faster than the speed of light and time gets all wonky and it's actually kind of cool. Uh, there's also his whole interaction with his father who's in prison for murdering his mother, but he's been falsely accused. For Flash. Yeah. So uh, Flash is, like every scene he has interacting with his father is also quite enjoyable, at least from my perspective. So yeah, I think the movie's definitely good. It's worth the watch if you have access to watch it. watching it. I just do recommend breaking it up into pieces and not doing it all at once. It does also tease Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter exists in the Zack Snyder Justice League. <laughs> so I heard this. Uh, so I, I watched a few people online that were talking about this. And one of my favorite things was, so Martian Manhunter took a personal interest in Lois, Lois Lane. Lane's life yeah. as Martha Kent. But at the same time, we've never seen Martha Kent and Martian Manhunter or anything that sets up the swap. So there's room that you can justifiably believe that every time we've seen Martha Kent in this movie, it's been uh, Martian Manhunter and possibly before. <laughs> It is theoretically possible. I don't know how likely it is, but it's theoretically possible. It is very interesting because it's not even like Martian Manhunter is getting Lois involved in the plot. All Martian Manhunter does is he wants to get her back to doing journalism, which apparently he has taken a heavy vested interest in. Yeah. It's pretty fucking silly. Uh, now, another interesting thing, uh, kind of to segue and something I want to talk about as well. So a lot of things have started happening. So leading up to this movie coming out, there was like the whole Free the Snyder cut, all that stuff. And now another thing started turning up, Free the Snyder verse, because people want this series to continue on, even if Snyder said it's the most likely not going to happen. This yeah. was more so just me putting the movie to my vision. But uh, we got another trailer for another movie in this universe, The Suicide Squad that came out. And... Uh, James I would Gunn. Be, I had 100% be down with freeing the Gunverse. The Gunverse well, is something I would want. Well, James Gunn actually tweeted, free the Gunverse, when he just put up that the movie was coming out as a joke for everyone saying, free the Snyderverse. Yeah. Uh, as a fact, like, it's like, no, like, it doesn't need to be that. It can be whatever it is. Like, it's just fun stuff. And by God, I think the Suicide Squad from by James Gunn is the first movie I got really excited for so far in the whole DC universe. Oh, absolutely. Because... They do a full job in that trailer of establishing, like, after people got super pissed off about the fact that Snyder didn't have complete uh, creative control over Justice League, they made a good deal of that trailer of making it very clear, this is 100% James Gunn's brainchild. No one is having any influence over this movie other than James Gunn. I think it was the trailer from the beautifully horrifying mind of James Gunn. Yeah. It, uh... 
it also looks fucking hilarious. Like, there's a full-on scene where John Cena, as the Peacemaker, goes off on a tirade about how if there was a beach covered in severed human penises, he would eat all of the dicks if it would provide peace to more people. Yeah, for liberty. For liberty, yes. For liberty, he would eat a hundred thousand dicks. Now, Matt, are you, are you familiar with Peacemaker? No. Peacemaker is a DC villain who is so enthusiastic about pacifism that he will kill people to keep pacifism in the world. Yeah, he's literally <laughs> described as a pacifist extremist. <laughs> that seems so weird. Yep. He's fucking great. Yep. He also uh, has a magic helmet that he believes contains the souls of every person he's ever killed. <laughs> well, that just does wonders for your psyche. Yep. He's a little bit insane. It's established. Uh, yeah. We see that uh, Nathan Fillion is playing uh, arm rip-off guy or whatever you want to call him. Uh, arm tear-off guy, yeah. yeah. Uh, a guy whose superpower is he can re- rip off his own arms and then beat people to death with oh. his own arms. And then they grow back. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he doesn't just rip them off and now he has no arms. Uh, the one I'm probably the most excited for is the inclusion Pokedon. of Pokemon Man. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's the great scene where they're all sitting there talking about like the suicide mission. He's like, oh, well, this is a suicide mission. We're all going to die. And it pans over to him and he looks over. He's like, oh god, I hope so. <laughs> Uh, how familiar are you with Polka Dot Man? Not, not at all. So but I take it he's very depressed. Uh, so Polka Dot Man... Not normally funny not, enough. Not, not normally, no. Polka Dot Man's character, uh, he's a very early member of Batman's rogues gallery, like before the Joker or any of his iconic villains were established. And uh, his whole thing was he wore a suit covered in polka dots, and he could rip polka dots off of his suit, and then they would morph into weapons or things he could use to escape from the current situation. Like a hole. Like, he, he literally ripped a polka dot off and threw it at the wall and it became a hole and he just walked through the hole in the wall. Okay, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to lean into that. I have a fear that he's going to be the slipknot of this movie where they're going to introduce him just to show that it's a real threat and they will blow people's heads off if they break the rules. The alternative, me and Keith were talking about this movie the other day, was that he's going to keep trying to push the rules to try and get himself killed, and Amanda Waller's going to refuse because she realizes keeping him alive is a greater threat than killing him. <laughs> <laughs> or it'd be something like, like he finally has a change of heart, and he's like, I've finally learned how to live at the end of the movie, and then man, he immediately dies. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, we do see from the clip, there's a scene where he's in a dance club party, and it looks like he's having a good time, and that's going to be when he's dying, if oh. it happens. <laughs> That's inevitably going to... I assume this is going to be exactly like the first Suicide Squad movie. And that's just going to be the scene where they're all shown visions of what their life could possibly be if they went back to being villains instead of uh, begrudgingly working for the good guys. I shouldn't say that. Amanda Waller really can't be described as a good guy. She is definitely the shadiest person on Suicide Squad. Yeah. She's a government employee. She's a government employee employing a bunch of villains. And she's the most shady person on that group. Well, government people are always shady in movies <laughs> anyway. But uh, I think... There's a lot of characters in this movie to the point that I do think James Gunn is just going to be completely liberal on who lives and who dies. The only person I could say has a good chance of surviving would be, well, Amanda Waller, most likely, and uh, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, because it's been so popular. Like, Harley Quinn, no matter what version you put her in, she's always just, like, an extremely popular character. And the returning characters are her and Jack Rick- Courtney's Captain Boomerang. They also have Rick Flag again. Oh, yeah, it's Rick Flag. Um... But I see. I think Harley Quinn's the only one that I, I would safely say. Oh yeah, I I fully believe Rick Flag will be killed off because he was established as a quote unquote good person in the first movie, and you can't have a good person be affiliated with the Suicide Squad. He's going to be fucking killed off by the end. Cool. Also, Sylvester Stallone is doing King Shark. And another hand. Another thing I'm not familiar with. You don't know Sylvester Stallone? I know Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> What's King Shark? He's a shark. He's a giant man shark. Okay. 
is man shark. He literally tears a guy in half. Oh, okay, that sounds fun. Needs a manhole. Yep, he's a cool guy. And like no, no CGI. It's all just Sylvester Stallone <laughs> and practical effects. He literally tears a guy in half. <laughs> it's a stunt film. That's so oh. dark. I don't know why I made that joke. Fuck, what else is going on? Let's get off this topic. Uh, so on Superhero News, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier has been looking really good so far. Yeah, so one thing I really like is 95% of what we saw in the trailer has already been presented in the first two episodes of the show. So pretty much whatever's left to be revealed over the course of the next four episodes will be, able to be entirely spoiler-free. Yeah. yeah, the only thing that's been in the trailers that I don't think we have got yet was... Uh, Falcon and Bucky's romantic getaway at that cabin with the shield. Uh, there's that one, and there's Zemo actually putting on the purple mask. Other than that, we have no, like, real hints about anything. There's gonna be a scene in a nightclub, but that's not really telling us anything. Like, any major plot detail has been kind of hidden from us. Even though the trailer looks like it covers most of the season, if you just watch the trailer. Yep. Uh, but yes, it's going really well. Um, I know a lot of people on the internet were not fond of uh, the guy who's playing the new Captain America. I can't remember his name. Um, but oh, It's White Russell. White Russell. There we go. Thank you. Um, Kurt Russell's son. Yes. But I think he actually is doing a phenomenal job. Uh, if you've seen him in the second Goon movie about a hockey enforcer, he actually plays a fairly similar role in that he's just a d- uh, guy who is forced kind of into an antagonistic role to the hero, even though he's not actually a dick. And he's in a very similar role in this movie, and I think... I'm actually looking quite forward to seeing how his character is established because right now he is very much so a good guy who's being put into a difficult situation and is making the best of it. I mean, they give hints a shady background because they keep making comments of you can't punch your way out of everything now. So I think they're really hinting at him having anger problems, which will go into uh, possible storylines of it, especially where it looks like the super serum uh, that made Steve Rogers kind of in play in this world now. Oh, yes. And if you remember one thing from the original Captain America movie, it was... The serum doesn't just give you power. It enhances what's already inside you, so good becomes great, bad becomes worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why the Red Skull became such a horrible being afterwards, and Steve yeah. Rogers, who was this little tiny like guy with a good heart, became such like a noble hero in a sense. So if someone who has anger problems, that they're kind of keeping under wraps, if they get the serum, they can turn into a completely violent person. Yeah, I, I think they're doing a good job of establishing him as a potential hero, only to build him up to become a more antagonistic character down the line. Just because, man, over that fucking episode two, Bucky and Falcon do not stop shitting on the new Captain America. The entire, even when interacting with him directly, they shit on him relentlessly. Uh, and so, yeah, they already kind of... I mean, to be fair, he did call Falcon a sidekick. <laughs> he did. Uh, so, we're... I think what we're likely to see in the future is it's already been established that other people on the good guy side were given the Captain America Super Soldier Serum. And there are antagonists in the world right now who are also seem to be operating off, if not the exact same serum, a variant of the serum. Yeah. So it's likely that uh, the new Captain America will get a version of the Super Soldier Serum and will fully become the antagonist we're looking forward to. I think what's going to happen by the end of the season is I don't think he's going to die off. I think he's going to be kind of pushed to the side to potentially come back in future movies either as a more antagonist, but I think it's actually more likely they're going to try and do some redeeming bullshit on him to make him kind of a good guy towards the end. Uh, Another fun thing is uh, 
people have been talking about who the secret villain of this series is again. Of course, because it's Mephisto. Uh, no, so actually the fun one about this was one of the people I was watching online uh, made a comment about how they think, uh, to keep it in line with like everything, and how they're kind of playing with who the power broker is as a secret, yeah. having the reveal that, oh, it's this character from the comics, they think it's going to be a reveal of someone that already exists in the universe, and they think it's going to end up being Baron Zima, uh, not Baron Zima, um, uh, Zola. Zola, yeah. Uh, so then he immediately after going about why he thinks Zola would be a good one to fill that spot of the power broker because he worked on the original serum and all that stuff. But it's like, but I'm calling it now. Zola is this series Mephisto. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Everyone's Zola. Uh, I do like the idea of the big three that has now been introduced as well. Because Falcon's talking about, we think it's one of the big three. He's like, what do you mean the big three? He's like, either aliens, cyborgs, or wizards. He's like, wizards aren't real. He's like, fucking Doctor Strange. It's like, <laughs> Doctor Strange is a sorcerer, not a wizard. Fucking a sorcerer is just a wizard without the hat. That's just all that <laughs> is right there. Um, actually, a sorcerer is a person who taps into some interdimensional natural forces to create magic. Uh, yep. Anyways, so we've been introduced to the concept of the Big Three, and clearly the full fucking military just accepts the idea of the Big Three, because Cap- the new Captain America character is also referring to the Big Three. <laughs> I thought that was implying that they were listening to Falcon, though. It might have been. I assumed that that was more so... Him also being under the impression that it was the big three. It's probably something like in WandaVision, starting to call Wanda's little enclosure the Hex. Yeah. Someone just called it that and it just caught on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, more talk of the big three. Especially because they establish it's one of the big three and then immediately go, oh, no, it's just super soldiers. It's not one of the big three. <laughs> it's the big four now. <laughs> it's the little brother fourth. Well, I think... We can probably just rename the second of the three, because the second of the three was robots. If we just recall that scientists, because scientists make the robots, then super soldiers are re-encapsulated into the big three. <laughs> scientist creations. <laughs> Honestly, it should be aliens and something Tony Stark created. <laughs> aliens, Tony Stark's, uh, like, offshoots, and then, nope, just aliens and Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah, they explain <laughs> everything in the universe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also in uh, the MCU news, uh, so with Black Widow getting pushed back again, it looks like everything kind of shifted back one slot. Of course. So now Black Widow got the Shang-Chi slot on July 9th, Shang-Chi went back into the next slot, which pushed Eternals back, so on and so forth. So everything was pushed back, but this time they said it is coming to Disney+, Plus, which means we're most likely not going to see any more delays on the movies, as they, whatever was causing the issue there with releasing them digitally seems to have been worked out. Of course. Uh, which, thank Christ, because I can't handle any more delays. We've I feel like we've already had, like, three tentative dates for fucking Black Widow to record a podcast about it that we've had to fucking scrap and move back because Black Widow keeps getting delayed, so... Not saying that we're doing a podcast on Black Widow. We're not going to do a podcast. No, we're just... I flat out refuse to even think about doing a podcast about Black Widow because it's probably going to get delayed again. Uh, so also in the realm of movies, uh, we finally got a title for the new Resident Evil one coming out, or Ooh. the series on Netflix, which is, uh, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. Ooh, that's fun. That sounds lovely. So it's supposed to cover Resident Evil 1 and 2 together, which people are a bit confused on how that's going to work, because those two games in the universe are, like, three months apart. <laughs> uh, well, the thing you gotta understand is if they're gonna cover... Even just one of them. It's got to be the same story told multiple times. Because you got to do multiple playthroughs of those games to get the full story. So. But we do know the casting has been done for, you know, Wesker, Chris, uh, Jill, Claire. Like, all the major characters from both stories are there. But just how is it going to play together is yeah. kind of, like, the main question. 
Uh, but I am very curious. The casting looks very good, and I look forward to it coming out. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty excited too. Do you can look forward to us doing an episode on that instead of Black Widow. Do they have casting for Barry? I would assume so. I do actually really like this casting. Now that I'm actually looking at it, a lot of these people, especially in the fucking antagonist roles, are I think are going to do a fucking killer job of playing Tom Hopper and Neil McDowell. Yeah, Tom Hopper and Neil McDowell. You're exactly <laughs> right about the two I was talking about. And then Robbie Amell is uh, Chris Redfield, which I, I think is also really good casting. Yeah. And then the last thing I kind of want to talk about. Uh, so Steamforged is a board game company that I really enjoy. Uh, yeah. Actually, I have the Resident Evil board games myself and a few other things. But they announced uh, recently they have a new series they're doing. And they're releasing a Monster Hunter board game. Oh, that sounds fun. Monster Hunter's right up my alley. <laughs> yep, so uh, it looks like the base game is going to have like 19 character variants. It's got cards and monsters, so it's kind of like a map that you move around with the main objective monster. That uh, It's kind of like you know a cooperative game where you all work together to take down the creature. Because you either kill it and uh, give no. up the points to determine who the winner is. Or if it gets away, everyone loses. Yeah, it's one of those pseudo-cooperative where... You either lose collectively or one person wins because they did the best at winning as a team. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like an interesting prospect. I wonder if there's going to be some sort of capture mechanic in there also. I'm not sure. The Kickstarter is supposed to start this month uh, where they're going to give it a lot more details, but I believe there is a game plan that's going up soon uh, showing how the game is played specifically. And the models are massive. (laughs) Oh, I'd imagine so. Hopefully it follows the questionable logic of capturing in the games, where even though you capture and do the non-violent option, you still get access to meat and bones from the thing you captured, because that makes perfect sense. Yeah. We're just not going to question it. It's take a little off the top. Yeah. A little bit. It's non-violent. I promise. It it gave it to me. That Rajang didn't need its hurt. I capture, I collect some organs, I release it back into the wild. I'm not a bad guy, I didn't kill it. (laughs) It's now bait for future things I'm going to capture. Also, we knocked it out so it couldn't find its way back here because of uh, scent. But, you know, (laughs) know, I'm I'm fully interested in that now. And I want to see how big some of those pieces are, because there are some massive monsters. The ones they were showing were pretty big. Alright, is there anything else going on in the world, Keith? Uh, nothing I have listed. Alright, what are we talking about, man? Alright, today we are going to be delving into the wonderful world of Pokemon! Most specifically, the, uh, good old, uh, comics of Pokemon Adventures and how they kind of cross-relate to the original Pokemon games from Generation 1. Yeah, I guess we're kind of loosely talking about Generation 1 itself. Uh, If uh, most of you might know, it's actually the 25th anniversary of Pokemon this year. Uh, The exact 25th birthday was in February, of course, but it's a year of 25th for Pokemon. We can make the whole fucking year about Pokemon and you can't do shit about it. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Why am I so antagonistic towards our fans? I'm sorry. Because they're complaining about you antagonizing Matt, and I have to take it on a hill. It's true. I, if I can't be mean to Matt, I have to be mean to the fans. And you know what, fans? For asking me to be nice to Matt, this is your own fucking fault. Alright, so, Pokemon. <laughs> That's harsh. Pokemon. Pokemon. Matt, don't ask me to be nice to the fans, because then I'll go back to being mean to you. The fans will get mad at me again. The Pokemon adventure of everyone, though, starts off in the good old town of Pilot. Nice Pilot Town. A clean slate. To start off any good old adventure. Good for putting paints on. Yes. That is specifically referenced later on about how pallets are great for putting paint on. It's one of those things where in the games, all of the cities are named after different colors. uh, And then 
palette town isn't named after a color, it's named after a palette where you put paint. And it's never really addressed in games why that is. But they make a point of addressing it in the fucking Adventures comic. Yeah, and the Adventure comic does a good job of kind of following the story of those original games with a few adjustments and some liberties taken, of course. Of course, yeah. there are some pretty <laughs> aggressive liberties taken, but yeah. But uh, one thing that I always enjoyed about these uh, Adventure comic series was it kind of feels like when you're reading it, what you imagined when you were playing the game. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it makes it feel a lot more real than just a game. Yeah. In the trainer battles, it's not just the Pokemon that get hurt. The trainers get hurt, too. Yeah. So it, in uh, one of the battles Ash got in, he got hit by a fire blast. Or not Ash, but Red. How dare you? Who I'm the sorry. fuck is Ash? I am sorry. I will extract myself from this podcast if it so pleases you. Even when I was younger and I watched Pokemon anime, I hated Ash so much because he was just like... He's such a little shit. Yeah. He didn't do anything. He just, like, exists in the world and good things happen to him. He fucked up Misty's bike and then just expected people to give him badges. Yeah, yeah it literally was the kind of thing where he has, like, a friendly conversation with a gym leader and then, like, sticks out his hand for a badge. Yeah. The only badge he won was from Brock in Pewter City, and that was because he got the sprinkler system involved. Well, no, Blaine also, because Ash tried to pull the whole, oh, you give me the badge now, right? Oh, Blaine's yeah. like, what, no, you have to beat me in a fight. Right. Yeah. The fuck is this? Who the fuck do you think you are? And don't even try to make me laugh. Nah. Blaine's a good character in all iterations of Pokemon. Exactly. Yeah. So we're introduced uh, right off the bat to Red, who is known as the best Pokemon trainer in all of Pallet Town. Yep. Uh, his starting Pokemon uh, is also a bit different than what you would expect. He starts with a Poliwhirl that evolved from a Poliwag. Yeah. yeah. A Poliwag so evolved he... into Poliwhirl to save his life when he was drowning. Uh, yeah, he caught a Poliwag and then started drowning shortly later, and the Poliwag evolved into a Poliwhirl, so it had arms to carry him through the rest of the series. Which <laughs> kind of <laughs> Pokemon just, like, deciding, hmm, I really need these arms, and just choosing to evolve. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that literally happens later on in the series where the poly world is just like, man, these arms aren't buff enough to carry this child. This child's grown. I need stronger arms. Time to become a poly wrath. So I, I want to address something here. So we we plan to do the whole Kanto arc of Pokemon Adventure. Pokemon Adventure continues going. It covers all the oh, games. Yeah. yeah. But you two only read up to the end of the Red, Blue, and Green story arc, right? See, yeah. I didn't realize it went, uh, all of Kanto continued after Red, Blue, and Green. I just read until the end of, they get to yeah. po- uh, the Indigo Plateau. They Ash don't get wins. the Indigo Plateau. They do. That's where the fight happens at the it's end not, of it's not, The tournament's not there. They declare it as Indigo Plateau. It's the name of the tournament, but it's not the location. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, I got so involved in uh, the reading, because I was binging. I binged the first 40 chapters in one sitting, because it was thoroughly enjoyable. Oh, I definitely. Oh, yeah. But um, I completely forgot about the whole Elite Four aspect, because the culmination, jumping ahead a little bit, is... Uh, those first 40 chapters ends in a league championship match between a couple of the main characters, and Red obviously comes out on top. But So my brain just befuddled after sitting through those 40 chapters, just automatically assumed, like, okay, he's the champion now, that's the end of the Generation 1 stuff. Now, the main reason I bring that up is because they do reveal later on, to the specific scene you're talking about, that there were uh, water stones at the bottom of uh, the basin. Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. So it wasn't just like he decided to evolve, he did actually come in contact with a Waterstone there, that's actually a plot point in the second mm-hmm. half of the contest story when we're following Yellow. Okay, anyways, the reason I didn't read the Yellow one was I didn't 
realized that there was more content yeah. going on. I'm definitely going to start reading uh, from where I left off uh, later tonight. Oh, I do recommend it. And, like, again, the storyline, even though Adventure continues way past Kanto and Johto, it's up to date. I don't know if it's gotten to, like, the Aloha stuff yet in story. I uh, the I last one I so. saw when I was looking online was it was at Black and White 2. Yeah. yeah, but it keeps, like, the themes going through. It doesn't try to adjust with the change in popular. Like, this came out back when Pokemon wasn't quite at the big hype it was mm-hmm. if it is now yeah so it doesn't try to change itself to be more like mainstream in line with that it keeps like the plot ideas that it was going with yeah so some like, of them are weird choices but fuck it let's just do yeah. that so like uh, the game obviously starts off with you uh trying to explore out of the town immediately getting brought back into town saying it's too dangerous to leave town without a pokemon because you're just starting your journey you have nothing to uh fight with and so you go and get your first pokemon Whereas, uh, obviously, we mentioned in Adventures, Red starts off with his Poliwhirl, and uh, it's immediately shown that he's, in uh, just the terms of everyone living in Pallet Town, he's a really good trainer. And uh, he's told by the kids there that he should go check out the old man's lab at the edge of town. He's a fantastic Pokemon guy, and he can tell you how to be the best Pokemon trainer ever. But he's and of course not... like, fuck that, I'm gonna go into this forest and yeah. counter because, Team Rocket. Uh, yeah, because he stumbles across fucking Team Rocket and they're like, oh, we're gonna find the Phantom Pokemon. Yeah. Mew, the Pokemon that doesn't exist. Yeah. At this point, we only know of uh, Professor Oak as the old crazy Pokemon man in a lab at the edge of town. Because it's not until uh, Red leaves town we start getting hints that, or we start getting told that, the rest of the world knows Professor Oak is a famous professor for Pokemon. It's just Palatown is so far removed from everything else that not much of news of anything gets to them. Which comes up with that it's a perfect, clean place that hasn't been affected by a lot. So Pokemon are great here and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, wow, the best trainers come from here. There's a bunch of pollution in the rest of the world, but this place is untouched by pollution, uh, so also, Pokemon can safely grow. I want to address one of my one tripes with this whole series, and that's at the first scene when the Team Rar is talking about, you know, the Phantom Pokemon... But they also make attention that there's 150 Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. that was but Mewtwo my... isn't even built yet. No, there's more than that to take fucking issue with. Because yeah, later on in the series, when they're explaining Mew as a Pokemon, uh, fucking he gets referred to as the Phantom Pokemon. Red's like, "What's that about?" And Green, the bitch you meet later, is like, "You know how how many Pokemon are out there?" And Red's like, "Man, that's an easy question. There's 150." And she's like, "There's a Phantom 150 first called Mew. Of the 150, there's Mewtwo who doesn't exist yet." And it's based off the Phantom 151st. <laughs> There's also five extinct Pokemon that are also being counted among that 150 who are later to be revived through yep. science technology. Which means that in this world, only five creatures have ever gone extinct if they're also counting extinct Pokemon as a part of that 150. <laughs> <laughs> it's like such a weird choice to say there are exactly 150 yeah. Pokemon and Mew is the 151st. Yeah. Although that aside, despite the fact that that is such a glaring issue, this comic was built off of, or made off of the games, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah. One thing I will say about this comic being built off the games that I actually, like, fucking adored the first time I noticed it, is anytime Red catches a Pokemon and he pulls up the Pokedex to look at it, the Pokedex entry literally shows the pixel art of the character from the original fucking Pokemon Mm -hmm. game. And they explain a lot of the game mechanics in a way that makes a bit of sense. For example, there's a part... Actually, you guys wouldn't have gotten to this because you didn't do the uh, yellow part yet. But they explain how pressing B stops Pokemon evolution. Oh, really? Yeah, so uh, later on, Yellow ends up getting a Pokedex. And Yellow's whole thing is Yellow doesn't want their Pokemon to evolve. Mm-hmm. 
Sure. So there's a whole thing where the Ratatat evolves to eradicate, and like, oh no! And uh, Green, uh, not Green, Blue ends up explaining to him that what happens is, if your Pokemon's are going to evolve and you don't want them to, just hit the button right here on the Pokedex, and it emits a frequency which cancels out evolution energy. Okay. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Because uh, all we get in uh, later on games in this series is that pressing B startles the Pokemon out of their evolution process. No, it's a specifically, if you have a Pokedex, you can hit the button to emit the... Uh, frequency or whatever it is to stop the evolution so if a person does not have a pokedex they cannot stop the pokemon so does that mean like canonically only like four people in the world can stop evolution that'd be a huge dick move like you're participating in a tournament you have a pokedex and you you can even do it to stop other people's pokemon you just emitting a frequency you lose the other person's like yes oh you're evolving oh boy it's like i'm bitter over my defeat that's not evolving. (laughs) can you imagine if fucking red knew that because there's a point in the series where fucking Alright, let's talk about Blue for a second, because the biggest problem with this series is that Blue is just Blue and isn't Gary motherfucking Oak, <laughs> which is a problem because Gary's the best part of any Pokemon series ever. Yeah, yeah. So, Although Blue is pretty good. Blue is still pretty fucking Blue great. Blue comes across as the best trainer in the Pokemon world. Yeah. So there comes a point where Blue gets his hand on a Porygon, and because he won it through the slot machine, he doesn't have good control of it because he didn't catch it himself. Which is something they established because that makes sense. It's a mechanic from the game of Pokemon you catch yourself, you have easier time controlling the Pokemon you didn't catch yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but immediately after trying to take out this Porygon, he runs into Red, they trip, stumble, and accidentally trade Pokemon. Which is a shame. But regardless, can you imagine if Red was aware of this t- uh, evolving technique? Because he accidentally evolves Blue's Machoke into a Machamp. Yep. Which yep. is another game thing, because you can't evolve a Machoke into a Machamp unless you trade him to someone else. Yep. Yeah. And just, can you imagine if he knew that? He was like, I don't want to give Blue back a Machamp. Cancel. No, you're not. Fuck off. <laughs> you're staying a Machoke. <laughs> the thing I like, too, is like how the Pokemon clearly don't like Red too much. Because, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, he's trying to, like, warm up to him. But then when he gets his Pokemon back, they all have a <laughs> fucked up face. He's like, why are you guys looking at me like that? <laughs> they clearly, like, Blue's Pokemon did not care for Red in the slightest. But apparently Red's Pokemon immediately signed up for Blue's techniques. They were immediately on board with Blue. Well, it's that chapter that shows that Blue is really good at actually training the Pokemon. Yeah. Red is more empathetic with the Pokemon and develops a stronger bond with them. Well, the, the thing they uh, kind of establish here is that when it comes to training, uh, Blue is like hands down the best of the yeah. trainers with the Dexes. Yeah. And then Red is just like really intuitive for battle. Like when he's yeah. in a battle, he can find the most absurd ways to win a fight. Because he even pulls the thing from the uh, Pokemon anime where he beats Brock with Pikachu. Yeah. Which, in the anime, they do a better thing of he triggers the spi- sprinkle alarm. In this one, they're just straight up like, yeah, nope, an electric talk just knocked the fuck out of an Onyx. Let's not mm-hmm. question it. Yeah, I think like. Because I read the actual physical version of this comic when it came out and I believe it was like in the side things like probably have like the notes and stuff like that yeah. they explained the reason he beat the Onyx was Onyx is held together by like uh like magnetic, magnetic field so what Pikachu actually did was discharge the magnetic field holding the Onyx together that, that's what I kind of guessed because even when Onyx was uh doing his rock throw attack where he split his body up and even said that he was manipulating the magnetic fields holding his body together to throw all those rocks. Regardless, I dare anyone to try and use an electric attack yeah. against an onyx yeah. in an actual Pokemon. It's not gonna work. <laughs> yeah, but uh, then, you know, he travels from pretty much city to city fighting the gym leaders as you'd expect 
And we had to kind fight. of. Sort of. <laughs> Some of the gym leaders, he doesn't exactly fight. He just yeah. kind of interacts with briefly and then moves the fuck on. Well, I guess at this point... He fights gets... against the good gym leaders. We'll put it that way. Yeah, he fights against Brock and Pewter and gets the boulder badge. He fights Misty off screen and, and gets the... It's, it's, he has like also... a montage training arc with Misty and then fights her off screen and wants the badge. Just before he gets... Uh, the first badge, the boulder badge, where he learns that the badges seem to have some sort of power to actually strengthen your Pokemon. Yeah, which is also kind of playing to the game where you couldn't train Pokemon past certain levels and have them listen to you without certain badges. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. using certain abilities were restricted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, he goes from Misty, uh, travels south to Ver- Vermilion. Vermilion. Uh, uh, and finds out that there's a Pokemon fan club with just. The creepiest old dude, which yeah. is a part of the game, absolutely. And actually, I do want to speak about one thing before we get to there, because we kind of glossed over one thing where he was teamed up with Misty and they go through Matt Moon. Yeah. What, did, had, what were your guys' reaction when they had the reveal that Koga was the Team Rocket guy then? I was shocked, because at first, it didn't say he was Koga in that first interaction, just his face looked so much like Koga's. I'm like, yeah. is that Koga? Did they take this guy's design and use it for Koga later on? Uh, see, I fully assumed it was... The opposite, where they just needed a menacing-looking guy and Koga being a ninja. They're like, that's menacing enough. We're just going to take his design and apply it to this other character. And it's not until you see him in Lavender Town that it fully calls him out as being Koga. Yeah. And that's when I was like, oh, so fucking Koga's just a bad guy now. That Yeah. Because the one that really threw me off was Vermilion City when they're just like, yeah, he's the gym leader, Lieutenant Surge. You know, I'll have to fight him eventually. Also, there's a boat, and our Pokemon keep getting stolen, and Ash is, oh, sorry, I did it too. God damn it! <laughs> and Red is just like, man, if they're stealing Pokemon, they're not putting them in Pokeballs, which means they have to have something that can transport full-size Pokemon. The boat! Yep. And then he sneaks aboard the boat to save the Pokemon, and is caught by Lieutenant Surge, who reveals he is working with Team Rocket. He is one of Team Rocket's leadership triad! Uh, is the phrase that keeps getting thrown yeah. around. So we know Koga and Surge at this point. And Red does beat Surge in this one. and get uh, He kind of steals the badge, I guess. Uh, he gets thrown overboard here at this instance. I would and, count that as him winning the fight. And he he doesn't get the badge yet, though. He later he gets the badge later when he fights him at Slifko. Yeah. Oh, okay. But um, uh, this is when he's thrown overboard and, and then Polyworld is just like, Oh, I need stronger arms because I'm going to have to carry this child so much harder. Yeah, so the reveal uh, later on in the series is that the basin is just littered with evolution stones. <laughs> of course. Um, so yeah. Polyworld just carries Ash. Ah, fuck! There's the door, if you don't mind. Yeah, saves Red. And, uh... Also, we should mention there. at this point that the po- Oak does his Oak shit and gives Pokemon out. And so Blue managed to walk away with Charmander... Red manages to walk away with Ivysaur. And someone stole uh, uh, Squirtle. <laughs> also, I fucking love that. So there are the three characters of Blue, Red, and Green because they're based off the games where Red is supposed to be, I guess, the primary game and Blue was the alternative here and then Green was the one in Japan. Yeah, so it was uh, the original release was uh, Red, Red and Green, Green in Japan. So in the Japanese version of this, which you might notice we've already confused the names uh, Red, uh, I mean Blue yeah. and Green for the... Because what Bible I started game. reading, it was mentioning or calling Blue Green. Yeah, but in English, when the games came out, it was Red and Blue. But in Japan, uh, the Blue version was actually the enhanced version. And then Pokemon Yellow was kind of like its own tiny spinoff. Yeah. So, we have Blue, Red, and Green. And the thing I 
love about this series is they didn't bother just to give the one named Red the red Pokemon and the one named Green the green Pokemon and the one named Blue the blue Pokemon. They're like, nah, fuck it. Blue gets the red Pokemon, Red gets the green Pokemon, and Green gets the blue Pokemon. <laughs> fuck it, we're moving on. Yeah. And we end up finding out that uh, Green is the girl that stole the uh, Squirtle, and she's a con artist, and she's selling a bunch of broken shit. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, hey, Red, you're a really good trainer. You'd probably do even better if you had these items. Also, we're the same age, and I think you're super cute. And he's like, what? I don't think I need items. And she's like, oh, well, here, you're taking them. I'm taking 6000 poker dollars from you. Fuck yourself. And walks away. And he's like, man, I'm going to be super powerful now. And he isn't because they're bullshit. And yeah. he immediately realizes that when he gets in a fight. And he's like, okay, I got to find her and get my money back. Also, she stole his badges. That well, was that's after the later second encounter. Because yeah. in the second encounter, he tries to pull some shit like, you can't pull the wool over the eye, eyes of a guy who owns two Pokemon badges. And she's, she's like, like, hmm, <laughs> interesting. Oh no, I've been defeated. <laughs> Fucking pickpockets him. And then uses his exact same line against Rocket in the next fucking scene. Yeah. And this is where we get introduced to, uh, I guess, this would be the Game Corner, uh, Game Corner base, yep. wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because Ash, or not, fuck, uh, god damn, piece of shit, Peter, why do you suck so much? Red, uh, decides that since Rocket is looking for the girl, the easiest way for him to track her down is to knock a Team Rocket member the fuck out, which is implied that he just punches him and knocks him out, which, why doesn't he do that for every other Rocket member? <laughs> or any Pokefights. <laughs> yeah. Um, puts on his clothes and then sneaks in with all the other Rocket members into the game corner. Uh, which is where Mewtwo is apparently being made is below the game corner. Yeah, by Blaine. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, he sees this, he realizes that he has to stop, uh, fucking Team Rocket from getting their hands on Mew and all <laughs> From getting their hands on the Mew floppy disk data. Yes. Yep. Because the floppy disk data will allow them to track down the actual Mew. And Green has the floppy disk. So he immediately... Catches Green and stops them from catching him. Uh, Green uses her fucking ditto to impersonate Mew, which is impressive, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then uses that to throw off Rocket while they go try and catch the real Mew. Yeah, and uh, Green's main Pokemon is ditto, kind of, but she also uses Jigglypuff and uh, Wartortle quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. it's ditto she uses the most because she's a calm man and ditto is the calm man's perfect Pokemon. And then Jigglypuff is how she gets away because Jigglypuff can fly. The balloon Pokemon. The balloon Pokemon. And then Wartortle is who she uses when she has to fight. She has to fucking throw down. That's what she does. Yep. Uh, so yes. Uh, they track down Mew. Rocket immediately catches up because there's no way they were falling for the fact that the Ditto was a Mew. And they send a Jinx to fucking catch the Mew. And Red's like, nah, that shit ain't happening on my watch. And Dex the Jinx... I, I know he does it with a Pokemon, but in my mind, now that I've thought about it, all I can imagine is Red just punching Jinx in the face. Yeah, it's like he punches the uh, rocket card. He's like, wait a second, maybe I'm the strongest Pokemon. By the end of the series, we find out that Red is just a Machamp who's got his arms tied to his chest. Fuck. What happens after that? After So Mew manages to escape because Red's... A Cares well, about Pokemon. I guess that's one of the issues kind of with the series where like these first like I think it's like the 13 to 14 chapters are kind of a little disjointed where it's just like part to part story. Yeah. And then it's after Green gets introduced is kind of where like the main plot of this storyline really kind of kicks off. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's broken up into three volumes of chapters and the first volume is just kind of him fighting in different locations. 
And then it starts to have more of a cohesive story after that. Yeah, like, uh, I think the main story arc kind of really starts with him heading off to Lavender Town with the bicycle race. Yeah. <laughs> and they encounter the Snorlax, which the whole way of beating that is a Bulbasaur covered in Beedrill honey. Yeah, he's like, hey, oh, yeah. Snorlax, you want a snack? And he's just holding up a Bulbasaur covered in honey while whispering to him, he's like, don't worry, I'm not actually going to feed you to the Snorlax. Cut to the finish line of the bike race, and they see a massive cloud approaching the finish line. It is all the bikers, red in first place, being chased by a very hungry and very active Snorlax. They make a point of uh, all the prize money that he got from it went to feeding the Snorlax. But he did get some Pokemon items as well, which we just don't see ever again. Which implies... That the Snorlax was, like, intelligent enough to realize that, like, oh, you're going to pay for my dinner. Yep. Okay, I will not eat your Bulbasaur. I will see what you can provide. Yep. And, well, out of the whole ordeal, Red got himself that Snorlax as a companion. So, win-win. And then we kind of move into, like, I think is probably one of the first holy shit fights in the series, which is the Lavender Tower. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the one we kind of hinted at earlier, so... Get into town, hear that Lavender Tower is supposedly super haunted, and so no one goes out there, no one trusts anyone, because it was a tower built to bury dead Pokemon. And, but now there's ghosts wandering around. Uh, so Ash heads in, he sees a whole bunch of just fucking zombie Pokemon, which he heads, I'm gonna be honest, he heads in mainly because Mr. Fuji told him that his buddy Blue went in a week ago and has yet to come out. I will be honest though, if fucking zombie Pokemon were a part of the original games, that would have made that whole fucking interaction so much more intense. Oh, yeah. Than just, like, a weird shape you can't quite make out because of ghosts. Because by zombie Pokemon, we mean zombie Pokemon. They were body parts. Yep. He literally was watching corpses rot in front of him. And he comes to the conclusion, like, there's only one Pokemon that can do this, because clearly this is a Pokemon doing this. And that's the gas Pokemon, Ghastly. Because there was also a bunch of gas around the room and mist around the zombies and the zombies weren't leaving the gas clouds. And then he ends up having to fight uh, Blue to free him here. Because Blue was also taken over by Ghastly. And they work their way up to the top of the tower and we find out, oh, it was Koga all along. Yep. And Koga explains that they essentially created the myth that the tower was haunted because if the townspeople stayed away, it was a great hideout for Team Rocket. Which, fascinating, but also the tower is absolutely haunted vis-a-vis the zombie Pokemon on the first floor. <laughs> Yeah, so Koga fights him, and we find out that Koga isn't even there fighting him. He's looking into a Golbat's mouth, and that shows him what the battlefield looks like, and is fighting remotely from a distance, which is how Blue manages to win the day, because instead of having his own Charmeleon get the shit kicked out of him by Koga, he uses a zombie Charmeleon to get the shit kicked out of him by Koga, so that they can get the final strike while Koga thinks he's won. Yeah, and he cuts the uh, Arbok in half. Yeah. It literally shows Arbok cut to pieces. It's pretty fucking serious. Visceral. That's the word, visceral. Visceral is the word I was looking for. Thank you, Matt. And then I think the next stop on their journey after that was uh, Celadon. Uh, it, just before that is the one where they exchange their Pokemon and end up having to fight a Ninetales with using each other's Pokemon. Right, right, yeah. yeah. And fucking Blue catches it and Red's like, nah, that was my Pokeball. And he's like... Fucking maybe, but you were using my Pokemon to beat it, so it's my Pokemon now. Yep. So after that, Red gets to Celadon, and is probably knocked off his bike by an amassing crowd around someone. 
And so he demands an apology. Everyone's so, so appalled because it's the lady and no one gets in the lady's way. And, uh... Turns... Well, he's straight up like, no, we're in the fault here. We should apologize. Yes, being Erica, the gym leader. And so Red promptly uh, challenges Erica to a battle for the gym badge. And Erica's like, yeah, sure, okay. On one condition, you catch an Eevee first. Consider this a little uh, trial. Okay, I just go to that apartment building just down the street and talk to the person on the top floor. <laughs> but we actually see a much darker scene where Erica's now talking to her second-in-command, and she's like, should we have trusted the boy to catch the Eevee? And Erica's like, it's essential for our plans. And everyone at home reading this is probably like, oh, is Erica the third member of the rocket leadership triad? Because we know Koga and Lieutenant Serge are there. Now, we know Blair's a scientist, but he's a scientist. He can't be a leader. <laughs> yeah. But then... It starts to look even more like Erica is in cahoots with Team Rocket when we finally find the Eevee. Because the Eevee, unlike you might think of regular Eevees that uh, can evolve into different forms, this one is freely able to change its evolutionary form at will to or to fit the situation that it's fighting in. Also, we should say at this point that there has been talk not only of Rocket kidnapping people's Pokemon in... Uh... Vermilion City, but also talk of them experimenting on Pokemon vis-a-vis -vis Misty's Gyarados. Yeah, and mm -hmm. we also saw that Koga in the Mount Moon uh, section as well used some serum to, like, make Pokemon evolve. Yeah. And so, uh, they managed to, uh, beat the Eevee and, uh, quote-unquote catch it, and they discover it has some sort of devices implanted in its ears. That allow it to freely teleport, not teleport, transform between its multiple yes. evolutions. Which is actually a really cool concept. Yeah, yeah, the idea of having that actual Pokemon where it's just perfectly suited for whatever you throw out is very convenient. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, he goes back to the gym. He's like, you did this to Eevee? This, I'm not having this. I'm gonna beat you and I'm gonna save Eevee. Because Eevee's gonna die if nothing happens. And Erica is like, ah, oh, fuck you, you're gonna die first and then starts fighting him. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to beat you here, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. Also, if uh, Eevee's led her to the Pokeball now, Eevee will die. No we ands, ifs, or buts about that. And, like, obviously it's the big combo. She's like, oh, I was the good guy the whole long. But the thing that I always found the funniest about this is she just fucking calls out. It's like, oh, I'm part of the Good Gym Leaders Alliance. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. It's me, Brock, and Misty. We're the good guys. We uh, are the only good guys. Like, you're aware of this. <laughs> so you knew all along that there were bad gym leaders. Well, yeah, they kind of left their spot. Yeah, yeah. like the half the gym leaders in this world are... They over half yeah, the gym leaders are bad. Yeah, remember, Blaine, at this point, is still one of the bad guys, technically, which means the ratio of good to bad gym leaders is five to three. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's so depressing. So, shortly after this fight, uh, Ash decides to check out... Fucking hell, god damn, Peter. Yeah. Red decides to check out the Safari, because that seems like a fun place. Th this is probably my favorite Red moment in the yeah. whole series. The ending of the Safari is... The beginning of the Safari arc and the ending of the Safari arc are two fantastic moments. It shows Red embarking into the Safari Zone on a little raft with two little, two little robot Pidgeys as guides. And uh, as per the norm for the Safari Zone, you leave all your Pokemon behind. As well as all your Pokeballs and everything else. And he yeah. sneaks one in. And it shows uh, like the Safari Warden saying to uh, Red's Pokemon, Oh, don't worry, he'll be completely fine. The park's completely safe. 
Just like Jurassic Park. Yeah. So then he comes across... Actually, if you notice, the safari zone is at the Jurassic Park. To yeah. uh, so then Red comes across two Nidal kings who are fighting over a Nidal queen. Fun little mating ritual. And Red's like, this is a perfect opportunity to use this Pokeball I snuck in. I'll catch one of the two Nidal kings and that'll be great. And then he just whiffs super hard on throwing the Pokeball <laughs> and instead catches the Nidal queen, which, like, uh, to explain things to people who aren't familiar... Uh, try and walk into a bar to see two guys fighting over a girl, and then try and steal the girl. Those two guys aren't fighting each other anymore. They're gonna try and kick the shit out of you now. <laughs> but this, uh, but that doesn't work quite, because this is the situation. You're going into a bar seeing two guys fighting over a girl, and you're like, I'm gonna steal one of those guys. <laughs> True. And then you accidentally steal the girl. Yeah, it doesn't work out well for him. The two guys don't care. <laughs> uh, so, the two Niddle Kings start trying to kick the shit out of Ash... Uh, and to which you said it again. Oh my gosh, Peter. <laughs> the two uh, The two Nidal King start chasing after Ash. You said it again. God damn it. Peter. Start chasing after Don't blame this on me, you're your own man. The two Nidal Kings start chasing after Red. Uh and the one of the Pidgeots was destroyed in the attack. The other Pidgeot is just like, hey, by the way, use these safari balls to protect yourself. And Ash immediately starts throwing them in. again. Red starts throwing them, and uh, obviously it's not going to work because the Ninja Kings aren't weakened at all, despite the fact that they're fighting each other. And uh, so he decides to throw a rock to try to weaken it. Kind of hurts one of the Ninja Kings' eyes and makes him even more mad. Uh, the thing that gets a little fucked up here, though, is when he stumbles across the Bell Spot, the Victory Bell, yeah. and the Weeping Bell thing. And it's like, oh, what's going on? Oh, it's the ritual where they're going to consume souls to evolve. Wait, what? Yeah. Uh, for a Bell Spot to evolve into a Weeping Bell, it must consume enough energy to evolve, which is terrible, a terrible, because they end up hanging red from a tree. And it's just like, if they get down to you, they're going to kill you. You have to be smart about this. What items do you have in your pockets? And he comes up with a plan to escape. But we also see like six other bundles hanging next to him. Even if the, those aren't people, that doesn't mean that other Pokemon are just being straight up fucking sacrificed to evolve. And there's quite a few uh, Weeping Bells and Victory Bells there. Which means this has happened quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. It's a much more fluid Pokemon world where the Pokemon eat each other. Which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, this one fully accepts the fact that like Pokemon die. Like in the games, you get... Lavender Town and the existence of Pokemon Tower kind of implies that Pokemon die. But that gets erased right after uh, po like the original generation because Johto, it's a radio tower and there's not really any Pokemon graveyard stuff going on after that. But in this fucking comic, they go out of their way to repeatedly explain yeah, no, Pokemon fucking die and get cut to pieces and fed to other Pokemon. That is a thing that exists in this world. Yep. Uh, which is good. After all those World trials and, and all that shit. After all those trials and tribulations, though, Red successfully manages to get his way out of the Safari Zone after a search team comes in and is immediately surprised by the fact that Red has successfully caught a lot of Pokemon from yeah, the Safari both, Zone. Both of the Nidoking's Kings and most of the Weeping slash Victory Bells. It's horrifying what Red was able to do with less than 30 Pokeballs because you know he threw like six at that first Nidoking. King. <laughs> So, uh, once we get out of the Safari Zone, uh, hard cut to Ash being back in Pewter City. Because a Pokemon researcher was interested in the idea of checking out to see if any of those rocks were actually fossils down in Mount Moon. 
in I think it was Diglett's Tunnel. Yeah. Oh, Diglett's Tunnel. Yeah, that's where the because you use that to get from Vermilion to Pewter. Makes sense. Mm. Uh, regardless, this person wants to bring them up to the uh, Pokemon Research Lab in Pewter City. Person, he has a name. He's nice man, Mister Giovanni. Yeah. I don't know that we get his name at this time. He's just a person. Yeah, generic Pokemon Research. We don't get his name at this time, but anyone who sees him <laughs> should know that it is Giovanni. In fact, Red. Oh, that was so close. Red absolutely should know because he looks at him and he's like, I've seen you before somewhere. Where do I know you from? And he's like, if you knew me, I would know you. Clearly we don't know each other. <laughs> That's how that works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, clearly we don't know each other. Just move on. Red. Bury your memories of Team Rocket in the past. That has nothing to do with this current well, situation. Well, it's not Team Rocket he knows it from because when he it first was... goes through Vermilion City, he sees the gym and there's a photo of him there. Right. <laughs> yeah, he sees the statue of uh, Giovanni's face in the gym. But the name scratched out. Right. Mm. Regardless. <laughs> Unless he's like, hmm, this man's Vonnie. Vonnie boy. Regardless, uh, they get to the Pokemon Research Lab and immediately find it under attack from a couple of Magmars who are burning it the fuck down. And so Giovanni, or uh, Red steps up, is like, I'll handle this. And Giovanni's like, okay, well, let's see how this guy, let's see how this kid does. Because uh, secretly he's scheming. He's like, if this kid is any good, I'm going to have to take him down right now. As the leader of Team Rocket, I must destroy this kid that has interacted with my members of my leadership triad. I mean, to be fair, he did Peter fuck up both Surge and Koga's plans. Yeah. yeah. And so Red brings out a Sandshrew to fight two Magmars. And Giovanni's like, oh, yeah, no, this, don't have to worry about this kid. <laughs> oh, okay. I wasted all that time in that Diglett cave. <laughs> Just picked up these rocks for some reason. And, uh, yeah, so, uh... Red smothers the flames of the Magmar and buries them in a bunch of sand from some vigorous sand attacks. And he's like, yeah, job's done. Good, good. This is perhaps where we learn one of the most horrifying parts of Pokemon lore, at least according to me in this comics, which is that after Red leaves, he takes a piece of Old Amber yeah, and leaves. Giovanni gives Old Amber to Red. And uh, if you played the games, you know that's how you get Aerodactyl. But then Giovanni comments... I don't have to worry about this kid anymore. He's a fucking idiot. Everyone knows that if you defeat a Magmar but don't kill it, it will hunt you to the ends of its days to kill you for defeating it. Which is just... I have beaten Magmar in games before, and I don't know how to kill a Pokemon in game. <laughs> I assume that every one of those characters I was playing as is now dead because the Magmar hunted it down during my downtime. Or, or you know, like just one day you'll be playing a Pokemon game and you'll see like a Magmar running at you across the screen. <laughs> Well, I mean, can you load up any of your old saves on any of your color games? Is that what the battery dying is? The Magmar so. finally got you? I think so. What is perhaps even more terrifying of a thought is what if Magmar knows that the character didn't defeat him, but I defeat him? What if Magmar comes from me in real life? <laughs> oh, we don't have to worry about that because uh, despite the fact that Red's gone away and the Magmar jump up to chase after him, Giovanni promptly freezes them and shatters them. They're dead now. Oh yeah, Giovanni has no compulsions about killing Pokemon. No. Alright, so, that was Magmar. Cut back to being in Fuchsia City, and the need for surfing to be able to make it to, uh... The Seafoam Islands. Which, God damn it, Red, you have already been swimming on the back of Polly Wrath at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not all that, we see him full-on just swimming on his own in an ocean. He just wants surf so that he doesn't have to do the work himself. No, but like, in the Vermilion fight, he's floating on the back of Polyrath, yeah. and Polyrath is floating around. I, 
I know, but we also see him dive to the bottom of the ocean in this with no special swimming gear. He doesn't even need a yeah. fucking Pokemon to serve him. Because he had to dive down himself to find the Surf yeah, HM them. anyway. Uh, regardless, a fucking Dragonite fucks with those plans and he does not get Surf. But then Misty shows up and she's like, here, uh, take my Gyarados. He knows Surf and he's been fully recuperated, I promise. By the way, I'm taking your Kingor. This is what's happening. The deal is now done. Like, literally, he has no say in that conversation. It's her uh, fucking explaining... Just kind of forces the trade to happen. Yeah. And Red's like... Can you imagine if that happened in the fucking games where, like, a random trader just walked up to you? Like, you have the eyes meet, exclamation mark, he walks up and he's like, Hey, nice to meet you. I'm taking your strongest Pokemon here. Have my Rattata. I mean, is that complete? Is that ever just Team Rocket interaction in the games, though? Probably. Oh, yeah. Except, uh... The person who got the trade initiated on them doesn't get anything in return. Alright, so. Seafoam Islands. Sets out towards Cinnabar. Getting to the Seafoam Islands first, obviously. We get our first legendary bird sighting. Articuno! Yes. Yep. And. and red. On, on what uh, the fan base is lovingly called Butt Island. But, uh, but it Island. does look very <laughs> much like a butt. Um, so, yes, we meet Articuno. Uh, we find out that Articuno is so averse to conflict that the moment he is presented with a threat, he encases himself in ice so he does not have to deal with shit. Which works out fine for Rocket because you see them fully just try to carry away a frozen Articuno. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, you may be frozen in ice doesn't mean you're like fully safe or anything. Uh, but then they also start kicking the shit out of Gyarados and Red is very passionately explained to his Pokemon that Gyarados is now a part of our team. You kind of gotta save him for the love of God. What the fuck are you doing? So he goes off to save Gyarados. Team Rocket turn their attention to Red. And Articuno's like, oh no, this kid is so passionate or compassionate over his Pokemon. I've got to save him. So Articuno sacrifices itself. To be fair, this is kind of a, ru- a running trend throughout all the Pokemon games. Is It's just... You win not because you're the best Pokemon trainer, but because you care the most about Pokemon and that makes you the best Pokemon trainer. So, Red having compassion for his Gyarados and that making Articuno being like, this is a good kid, fully fits within my worldview of how Pokemon has established itself in the games. So, Team Rocket makes off with Articuno, and uh, we get inklings of a plan that they have with the other two legendary birds also, Moltres and Zapdos. Technically, we just straight up see fucking Moltres has already been captured right, right. before we find inklings of a plan. Though. Yeah, so it's, uh, once this happens, he heads off to Cinnabar, we get the whole thing of like, oh, Surge found Zapdos in the electrical plant, just like the thing. So they're, they're in the exact spot right. there in the game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and fucking Moltres is now being used to attack Blaine on Cinnabar Island, while Ash just hangs from a fucking cliff, one-handed. I know I didn't, I said red, we all fucking <laughs> heard it. Hangs... Red is hanging from a cliff, one-handed, hucking Pokeballs up there to help Blaine in his fight. His name's Blaine, right? It's not like Turquoise or some shit? I'm not giving his name wrong? It's Blaine. Okay, good. Yeah, so Blaine was branded a traitor of Team Rocket because after seeing the compassion of Red and how his work would be put to evil uses, decided to leave Team Rocket so they wouldn't be able to create the super weapon Pokemon Mewtwo. We also find out later that the whole reason he left was just because Red's a good guy. And he's like, man, if Red's a good guy, I should be a good guy too. 
Which means red literally tips the balance. Because we talked earlier, at this point in the story, there are five bad gym leaders and three good gym leaders. Red literally tips the balance back to being even. He has brought balance to the Force. I mean, to the Pokemon Kanto region. Kanto region. Also known as the Force. If we don't include the Elite Four. I assume... Uh, like, I haven't read Yellow, but based on my understanding, we're going to find out that two of the Elite Four are actually members of Team Rocket in some way, shape, or form. Oh, we'll get there. Uh, of course we will. I'll get there tonight, probably. But, um... but Keith will get there before we're done this podcast. He's going to force us to know that two of them were members right. of Rocket. So. Uh, Cinnabar has now been resolved. Yes. Ash goes home to Palatown. Did again. No, I didn't. I said Red. Red goes home to Palatown. <laughs> So it's not quite back to Palatown yet, though, because we then cut to green and blue outside of Selma? Right, yeah, Selma. Yeah. Oh, no, Saffron. Saffron. Because there is a barrier, a psychic barrier around Saffron. <laughs> also, Green tries to flirt away past the guard. Oh, yeah. Because in the games, there's a very thirsty road guard who won't let you pass because he's too thirsty. Wait, is this where thirsty comes from? Does it come from the Pokemon Adventure comics where they confuse thirst for flirtation? Well, to be fair, this guard wasn't having any of it. It didn't yeah, work no. out, but... <laughs> well, yeah, so uh, they can't get through the barrier. And they're confuddled and confused. And then Ash, in pa- Red in Palatown... Is just like... He returns and he's like, where is everyone? And he sees Professor Oak being all fucking weird. He's like, what's up, dude? Stop being so weird. And then Sabrina... Professor Oak attacks him. And Sabrina shows up and she's like, that's actually a Kadabra. Also, come to Celadon. That's where you need to go. Also, I'm an illusion. Saffron, not Celadon. Otherwise, I'm going to kill everyone that's not already dead in Palatown. And then, like, the illusion drops and Palatown's in ruins. Yep. Also, it is kind of amazing that that happens because... Sabrina straight up calls out Red and is like, come to Saffron City, come to Slifco, so that we can deal with you, otherwise I'll kill everyone. And then he goes to fucking Saffron City, and the barrier's still up, and he has to, like, MacGyver his way into yep. the city. Not how that should work if he's been directly called out and told to come there. Yeah, and then we get the fun uh, 3v3 showdown, where it's, uh, we got Blue fighting against Koga... We got Red fighting against Surge, and then we got Green fighting against Sabrina. Yeah. And we know that each of these three has been powered up with one of the legendary birds and is using it to make them the best fighter ever. Which, honestly, I think Surge is the only one that used it effectively. Yeah. He well, made that's everyone... weapons out of electric Pokemon. <laughs> well, that's because the an fucking... electric proof suit. The psychic trainer was given the fire bird, and the poison trainer was given the ice bird. Neither of them knew how the fuck to use it. But then Surge was like, hey, I'm the electric guy. Can I have the electric bird? And Giovanni was like, yeah, sure. That makes the most sense to me. And so Lieutenant Surge got a Pokemon he actually fucking understood how to use. <laughs> and he didn't use it. He just made it a giant battery. <laughs> it's just a battery, but he didn't have to worry about overcharging because he had fucking uh, underpants that insulated him against the electrical charge. Also, I like how this is the origin story of four reds with gloves. Uh, yeah, his yeah. fingerless gloves. Beat Surge. Uh, is like, I'll take these. I like that because, like, I don't remember, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Surge wearing gloves, that is. But he, the only thing he specifically says he has that is insulated is his underwear. And yet, Ash, Red's gloves are later shown to be insulated. Which makes me believe that when Red was taking clothes off of him to make gloves, he ripped up his underwear <laughs> to make fingerless gloves. Well, we already knew he ripped up his underwear when he cast, uh... Razor, when he made, razor I just Razor Leaf. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, and then, uh, that, that's pretty much what the red fight fr- uh, breaks down to. It's, hi, I broke your underwear, I win. Uh, then Blue's fight is a little bit more interesting, whereas Blue, like, takes a hit yeah. on purpose. It looks like, and according to Koga, that he took a, a Fury Cutter attack to the heart. So, like, he's bleeding out and dying, apparently. Yep. Also, this is a very common move that Blue uses throughout the series. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then he sends his Charizard at this point out of a hole in the wall so that when fucking Koga inevitably uses Articuno to freeze the entire room, fucking Charizard can just flame blast the entire room to remelt the ice and free everyone. Yep. Yep. Also, the building's on fire now. <laughs> and then, of course, we got the green Sabrina fight, which uh, is actually a really fun one. Yeah, it's uh, Sabrina using illusions to fuck with Green, and then Green using smoke screen to fuck with Sabrina, and then Sabrina realizing that she doesn't just use psychic Pokemon, she herself is a psychic, so she doesn't care about the smoke screen. It's a fun fight. Yeah, or the fact that when she runs, uh, it looks like Sabrina's running around doing things, and then Red runs into her and's gonna fight her, and it's like, no, it's actually me, Green, and rips the ditto off her face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which kind of makes me wish that they use that more often, and also... Makes me wonder about the timeline and if the fucking Mission Impossible masses are actually inspired by Ditto masks from Pokemon Adventure comics. I can't confirm this gets used more in uh, the Yellow arc. Of course it does. Good, good. Alright, so... But we're forgetting the best part and the most horrifying thing of this arc. The special device. Yeah, the special device they used to merge the three legendary birds together. Yeah, so it's a fucking, like, platform with space for all seven of the badges, because there's seven badges. Let's not question the number seven, even though everyone who's reading this has probably played the games where there's eight badges. Uh, ten badges, actually. That's not the fucking <laughs> game. That's Gary Oak. That's Gary motherfucking Oak. Uh, so yes, there are seven badges on this platform, and Red's just like, oh, I know, we've pickpocketed badges off of the three bad guys, and we have badges from all the good guys. Let's just slot these into place and see what happens. And then he does, and he realizes that it doesn't work. Because Green, when she stole his badges earlier and then later returned them to him, she just straight up gave him fake fucking badges. (laughs) (laughs) She puts like, oh, I think I know why it's not working. (laughs) So she steals it and runs away, because fully expecting to sacrifice Red to Sabrina to get away. Because she assumed it was going to create some sort of special rare Pokemon she'd be able to sell for a lot of money. Instead, it just takes Articuno, Zapdos, and Moltres, and fuses them into a single ultimate bird of death. Uh, which is unbeatable, apparently, unless you have three trainers fighting against this one Pokemon. With their weaknesses of grass, fire, and water. Yeah, if only that On, sort of situation uh, exists. Venusaur wh- spider's web. Yeah. Don't question mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Venusaur has spider web powers, except it's also... They call it a spider web, but also call it his wa- vines, so it's just magic. Spider sword, spider sword. Does whatever it wants with to to move the plot forwards. It also evolves during this battle. Yeah. yeah. So, Zapta. Zap. Arda. Arda Zap Mold Unodos Trace uh, is defeated. Let's call it Unodos Trace. Yeah, Unodos Trace is just defeated in this fight. Because the three of them learn to attack with synchronization and defeat the bad bird. Uh, And then they're just kind of like, now that we've defeated Rocket, let's go to the Pokemon League and do that. But Ash, no, Red has one last thing he wants to do before then. 
Because there's an invincible Pokemon trainer who lives in a city nearby to his home. Yes. And the the unbeatable eighth gym leader that no one knows, no one's ever oh, I, seen. Actually, I believe there's an important thing that just happens before this, because he stops by Viridian Forest. Right. Yes, and he finds out that there's a bunch of Pokemon that shouldn't fucking be there and are far more violent, such as attacking multiple Pokemon, or multiple Pokemon attacking at once, rather than waiting their turn. And he meets a young child by the name of Yellow. Yes. And he... I did not know that their name was Yellow, but he does teach Yellow how to catch their first Rattata. Yeah. Top percentile of Rattata, I'd imagine. This is not Todd. This is Yellow. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, Matt. Only Todd has the highest percentile Rattata. That's a unique qualifier that cannot apply to all Rattatas, Matt. Alright, so, now that Matt's done being a fucking idiot. (laughs) I'm sorry, who's the main character, Peter? Uh, not you, and that's all that fucking matters, Matt. I think you've in the story. Oh, right. <laughs> um. And then he goes to the Vermilion City gym. Actually, before that fucking happens, the whole Mewtwo plotline is resolved before he goes to the gym. Right. Uh, so yeah. Oh, for some reason I was thinking that was after yeah, the no. play, and then he goes to Mewtwo, and then it's the battle. Like, no, I, some... that's what I thought too as well, but nope, there's the whole Mewtwo shit yeah. gets resolved first. Some, uh... So this is probably the coolest iteration of what anything they've done with Mew, to, uh, Mewtwo specifically. Even cooler than the Pokemon movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, to point out, they didn't have enough Mewtwo, Mew cells to complete Mewtwo, so fucking Blaine just took cells out of his own goddamn arm, and... Based on the way he described it, he took a needle, shot himself in the arm, injected it into Mewtwo, and was like, that's not enough, so took the exact same needle and just re-injected it into his arm to take more cells, and re-injected it into Mewtwo. And during that, there was very clearly fucking cross-contamination, and now Mewtwo cells existed within Blaine's arm as well. Yes, and since Mewtwo is clearly more powerful than Blaine, his cells are starting to take over and are going to kill Blaine if nothing happens. So Blaine's like, we gotta get rid of this Mewtwo, and I need your help, Red. And because of the way it works, uh, it needs to happen before I die, because my arm's like an echolocator for Mewtwo. So if I die, he'll be able to destroy the world and no one can stop him. But if I'm alive, we can still track him down and defeat him, maybe. I have this Master Ball. Also, Mewtwo has two forms. If you try to attack him with multiple Pokemon, he uses a twister to send all the Pokemon flying away. But if you attack him only one at a time, he has a big fuck-off metal spoon that makes him the most powerful psychic type of all time! He even says, yeah, it's a very weird device, but trust me, it's dangerous. You ever seen an Alakaz ham? Think of that, but worse. <laughs> Literally, you think psychic Pokemon are strongest when they're using psychic powers? Go fuck yourself. Who are you, a child? No. Psychic Pokemon are strongest when they have big fuck off mouth spoons. We haven't separated special attack and special defense yet, so it's really effective. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, but yeah, Red decides to attack with ever with all his Pokemon. <laughs> Despite the warnings that a twister would just blow them all away. And so Mewtwo starts to summon a twister. But all of a sudden, Red recalls all his Pokemon and sends in his best to deliver. Oh no, he just throws the Master Ball. <laughs> no, it, it's Pikachu with it in his Oh yeah, Pikachu with yeah, the Master Ball in his mouth. Pikachu in the middle of the twister with a fucking Master Ball in his mouth. And Blaine's like, wait, what? He's like, oh, of course, I couldn't hit him with the Master Ball if he had the spoon. So now he's Pikachu's Pokemon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, he's not. Because he straight up is like, Blaine, I feel like you have the best understanding of Mewtwo. He's your Pokemon now. 
And Blade's like, oh, my arm doesn't hurt. Maybe that means that Mewtwo's not in pain anymore. Show him how he can show, or show him a human that can show compassion to him instead of treating him like a test subject and a weapon of mass destruction. And maybe he'll start to like you and not try to kill you. Go with that. It might work. Anyway, later I'm off to big tournament now. See ya. Oh, Viridian first. Viridian first. Yeah, so now the fucking fight with goddamn Giovanni. Which is probably, it, for the first half of the series, so there's the, you know, the red-blue-green arc and then there's the yellow arc, this is probably the best fight of oh, the red-blue-green arc. Absolutely. The fucking reveal of Giovanni, like, I'm unarmed, I'm throwing all my Pokemon on the ground, you get a free shot. Show me what you can do, son. And then fucking... Red's just like, alright, I'll throw a Pokemon to attack you. And then the Pokemon gets knocked the fuck out of the sky. He's like, what just happened? And Giovanni's like, well, it takes you one second to choose a Pokemon, one second to throw the Pokeball, one second for him to charge and attack. During that time, I can easily grab a Pokeball off the floor and throw him to counterattack. Meaning that fucking Giovanni is... We talked about Red being powerful earlier when he knocked a rocket guard out with a single punch, as was implied. Giovanni is clearly significantly more powerful because he can move faster than Red's eyes can keep up with. Well, that's the cool thing, too, because I think I think out of all of the versions of Giovanni we've gotten, the one from this comic is the one that seems the most, like, menacing for how powerful they are. Yeah, yeah. because he straight up says, like, most trainers think that the only way to become a strong trainer is to train your Pokemon to be strong, but that's wrong. You also have to train you as a trainer to be equally as strong. To uh, make the best use of your Pokemon. And also we get the feel too, like, Giovanni is like a, a mastermind when it comes to Pokemon battling, just like Red is. So, like, it's not just like, oh, I have strong Pokemon or I'm strong. It's he is very, like, methodical and critical like, of his tactics. Yeah, like, when he starts to use his ground Pokemon in the battle, he uses Fisher not on Red's Pokemon, on Red. So yeah. Red's hanging from the ravine. He's like, how are you going to use your Pokemon now? Stratum calls up, like, here's a great tactic for the future if you were to live. Attack your opponent's footing, then they'll have a harder time fighting back. And then he straight up calls out the Fisher not only knocked out Red's footing, it also broke the Pokeballs of every other Pokemon, so he can't even send out other Pokemon the other old... than Pikachu, of course. Yeah. Uh, there's another cool part, too, that happens here where uh, the fight ends up going outside of the building, and then the self-destruct goes up. It's like, right. I couldn't use it inside. Like, you thought you knocked my Pokemon out of the building, but I couldn't use self-destruct inside the building, clearly. So I let you put me outside so I could use it. Yeah. Uh, and then Giovanni goes off on another fucking rant, and he's like, alright, here's how it's gonna work. You're gonna try and send out Pikachu, so it's gonna be one second to grab Pikachu, you're gonna throw him, it's gonna be two seconds for him to get out, two seconds for him to charge and then attack. So you got five seconds ahead of you, there's, during that time, I am going to murder you. Yeah. You are going to be a dead child before you're going I only need attack. four seconds. Yeah. And so, Ash, no. His name isn't Ash. Ash. Ash never did anything this cool. Ash falls from the sky as Red grabs his Pokeball <laughs> and, and takes the blast from Giovanni. And throws Pikachu. Uh, and uh, uh, it comes out and attacks Giovanni and kills him before he can fight Within back. three seconds. Within, Within three, three seconds. seconds. And Giovanni's like, what? How? In order to do that, you would have had... Or Red you would have had to hold thousands of volts in your yeah, hand while it charged up yeah, its attack. Red said... Oh, instead of waiting until uh, Pikachu's out of the ball to charge the attack, I just had Pikachu charge the attack while he was still in the ball. It's like that <laughs> insulated <was> underwear gloves. <laughs> yeah, he waves his hands to Giovanni. He's like, "Ah, oh, I was defeated by my own technology." And Red's like, "No, you were defeated by the fact that you didn't love your Pokemon enough." He's like, 
No, he was 100% defeated by his own technology. If you didn't have those insulated underwear gloves, you couldn't have loved your Pokemon enough to throw a ball charged with 10,000 volts. You'd still be dead. <laughs> Giovanni would be dead too, so at best, you would have tied. Yeah. But the building collapses and Giovanni is never seen again. Yes. The way you say that, I assume he's going to have major plot points in Pokemon. What are you talking about? Comes. So, uh, now we get to the Pokemon tournament. Uh... The Indigo Plateau tournament that doesn't take place in Indigo Plateau, I'll take it. So, we are told that this tournament has only ever been won by people from Pallet Town, yep. so... And we also find out from Green that Green was originally from Pallet Town. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she's scared of bird Pokemon because a bird Pokemon grabbed yep. her once. <laughs> yeah, yep. so there's the four fucking preliminary rounds. There's... Uh, that all go through, and the three of them make it through, as well as a mysterious masked fighter who has yep. bandages wrapped around his head. The first and it definitely doesn't look like Professor Oak. Definitely doesn't look even a little like Professor Oak. Because that, for this man is muscly, and Professor Oak doesn't have muscles. He wears a giant white coat. Yeah, that covers and his arms, which clearly there are muscles. Red and blue are in the first block, and Red is upset because he wanted to beat blue in the semifinals. Or, or, he, or in, in the, the finals. finals. Yeah. Uh, so the first fight we see is the fight between Green and this mysterious masked man who it is later revealed is 100% Professor Oak, who just wants to dunk on this child for stealing his Pokemon. He's like, uh, yeah. No, but it goes further than that because he knows who this child is in her trauma, so he exclusively uses bird Pokemon in this yes. fight. Yeah, because um, Green was uh, growing up, or she was born in Paltown, but grew up with her parents in some far unknown land, and uh, I guess her parents died or something, and she was kidnapped by a, kidnapped by a bird. But uh, the interesting thing is, I like this little detail, the panel that showed that, the tower in it looked like one of the towers from Ecrotech in the Johto in the second generation, and the bird kind of looked like Ho-Oh. So it's kind of like this version's uh, Pokemon Adventures nod to Ho-Oh, whereas the Pokemon anime TV show with Ash, you see Ho-Oh flying off in the distance like the first episode or two. And that was Green getting carried away as a small child, and she very quickly ages up. And so, and, and I will confirm actually that uh, that it is from the Johto region that the travel happened, which means she was carried from my bird from Palatown to Johto. Yeah, or fr from Johto to back yeah. to Palatown because uh, Ho Oh sensed that uh, Green was lonely and devastated, and uh, <laughs> yeah. like this girl is very lonely and devastated. I'm gonna horrify her I'm for gonna, the rest of her existence. I'm gonna bring her back to her birthplace, where hopefully some people know her. So, anyways. Fucking Professor Oak knows that all of this happened and is using the trauma against her by using bird Pokemon. And she reveals the reason that she stole Squirtle was that there were three kids who grew up in Palatown and two of them were given one of three unique Pokemon as well as one of three Pokedexes and told to go off on an adventure. And she was just like, why the fuck wasn't I included in that process? <laughs> he's like, you should have asked! And he knocks her out. Yeah. <laughs> he sure takes the, takes the win and when she wakes up, he's like, Okay, yeah, here's a Pokedex. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, he fucking dunks on this girl hard. and then Also, I forfeit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's like, no, I quit. I don't actually want to fight either of the two kids I like. It's just this one fucking shitty kid. I wanted to make sure she did not win. <laughs> so then, obviously, the other semifinal fight is immediately made a final match even, because a loser can't progress to the finals. Like, and it was, also, it was even better, though, because she had a Blastoise and he had a Pidgey. Yeah, yeah, he beat her with the fucking pigeon. We should, but she was so scared of flying Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> but specifically, flying type Pokemon because she's fine flying with a Jigglypuff. Yeah, she's fine with 
Which explains why she's using a Jigglypuff as her flying Pokemon the entire time. <laughs> she's also fine with using Blastoise for aerial combat by having him sustain Hydro Pump for long enough to keep him afloat in the air. Which is just going to be so fucking taxing on the Blastoise. Alright, so yeah. Red and blue fight. Turns out they are Blue's in the a finals better po- because of what happened. Blue's a better Pokemon trainer based on the way the conversation's going. They both picked up some tricks from the other one. But Red uses shenanigans to win the fight overall by making a rain cloud by sending water into fire and then sending Pikachu up into the rain cloud to create lightning and then sending Ivysaur to hold the fucking Charizard in place so the lightning bolt can hit him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Set everything up for a very... Uh, it also creates a weird system in this because Red literally only beat his Charizard and also kept taking out his own Pokemon. So in this... World, do you only win a Pokemon fight if you defeat a single one of your opponent's Pokemon? Like, does the fight end at that point immediately? Because I don't think I ever saw a fight where, like, a Pokemon got knocked out and he threw someone else out. I, th- I thought he beat the other two Pokemon. Yeah, isn't it during the changes? Because yeah, uh, Blue does uh, throw out other Pokemon throughout the fight. Yeah, well, he does use a Ninetales. Because he, he started with Charizard and Red started with Venusaur. Venusaur hit Charizard with the Poison Seed. And so, uh... Blue recalled Charizard and brought out the next Pokemon and Red followed suits. And Red's next two Pokemon were dealt with and then had to bring out his first Pokemon again or something like that. Yeah, because Red did have multiple Pokemon defeated. Uh, he, uh, he did have a Ninetales on his team as well, but I remember him just swapping out Ninetales instead of actually having Ninetales get defeated. Maybe. maybe. The, uh, Keep my Pokemon also die in this thing, so it might have been like, a, I'm not throwing Ninetales back out. Yeah. Fair. Right, Red because Red will murder that Ninetales. Right, because Blue also did mention that uh, when he was looking at, he was looking at the health of his Pokemon through the Pokedex. And like, yeah, you're too weak, I'm, I'm not bringing you out again. I don't know, but, the way it's presented, it looked more like knocking out a single Pokemon when you the fight immediately. Yeah. It's a fight to a single knockout instead of knocking out your opponent's team. Uh, but yes, Red is now champion, kind of, except I guess not also... He's he's yeah. champion of this tournament, yeah. not Pokemon yeah. champion. And yeah. since they brought out the word champion, that's where, for whatever reason, I forgot about the Elite Four and assumed oh, this is where Well, it there's ended. even the scene where you see the Elite Four watching the fight happen, but in my mind, I was just like, okay, I guess they just do it differently here, and he's now the champion, alright. Weird that they're showing the Elite Four without him having to beat them, but cool. So, just give me a heads up, uh, where uh, I guess I will go through the yellow storyline, because I mm-hmm. know this one. The Elite Four are not tied to the Championship League in any conse- uh, sense. Oh, cool. Okay, that's... They're an organization known as the Elite Four. Uh, and how many of them are members of Team Rocket? Zero. Oh, okay. Good. It gets worse. Oh. How many of those <laughs> are members of other criminal organizations? Technically zero. Is the Elite Four itself a criminal organization? Kind of. Okay, go on. Tell us the plot <laughs> of Yellow. So, we jump to two years in the future. So it's been two years since the end of the Red, Blue, Green arc. And uh, Red's living life at the highest, being challenged by people. People want to fight, right, obviously. And then he receives a mysterious letter from a person named Bruno that wants to challenge him to a fight. I know that name! So Red goes off to this fight, and stuff happens. And then all of a sudden, one day, Pikachu comes back, just beating all the shit. Uh, comes in, uh, Oak's like, oh shit, what happened? Red, like, Red's been missing for like a week or so since he went to fight, what happened? They're healing him. And then this mysterious person walks in, grabs Pikachu, says, I need to go, uh, find Red, and then immediately heals the Pikachu. <laughs> With no potions or anything, just heals the Pikachu. 
Of course. As you do. Yeah. So obviously there's a bit of a back and forth where like, Oak's like, I'm not letting mm-hmm. you take that. So he goes to fight uh, this person who, just for the sake of the mystery, it's yellow. Yeah. Of course. Uh, and Do they still have the Rattata? Yes. Good. But uh, Oak's like, oh, I'm not letting you take that Pikachu. I'm going to fight you. So it's actually the Rattata, I believe, versus his Pidgey. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. that's actually pretty great no but here's the thing uh, Oak is very hesitant to like let this person go off to it because he had no idea oh, but yeah. what convinces Oak that maybe they're onto something is this fight happens and even though Oak doesn't win the fight uh, and neither does Yellow Yellow fought the battle in such a way that both sides could not continue the fighting without any injuries so the Pokemon weren't damaged or anything like he just brought the fight to a standstill through Ooh. abilities nice interesting so in this storyline, we're following Yellow as they travel around the Kanto region trying to find Red, who's been missing for a couple of weeks at the start of the story. Okay. We also find out Blue is also aware of this, uh, and the good gym leaders become aware of this through Oak, and they're also doing their own investigations. But Yellow only has two Pokemon right now. Uh, and, oh, the three Pokemon. A Duduo, a Rattata, and a Pikachu. And they're not really a trainer per se, but we find that they have some interesting abilities, which is they can sense the emotions and kind of psychically talk to Pokemon. And at the same time, they're also able to heal Pokemon, uh, which is explained as uh, they're uh, what's known as a Viridian child. So it's a child specifically from the Viridian forest. Okay. And they have special powers. Okay. Because earlier on in the comic, it is brought up that the people of the Palette region have a strong yeah. em- empathic connection with Pokemon. Yeah, and the, the the people born in Viridian Forest specifically have like like psychic link, healing, and other like notable abilities. And mm-hmm. Yellow is one of these people. It'll it'd be really interesting if it's not addressed, but each of the regions has a special form of child that born in that region, like fucking the Peter City kids who were born there are able to, like, digest rocks or some shit like that. <laughs> the Gorons? Yeah, they're just Gorons. <laughs> the kids born in Pewter City are Gorons, and that's why you don't see kids in Pewter City, because people move to Pewter City and they're like, we're not having kids. I don't want a Goron child, so we're just not having kids. <laughs> and you don't see kids in Lavender Town because all the kids there are born dead. <laughs> that stillbirths are a really serious thing that we shouldn't make jokes about. Like, I don't know... That I should have to explain that, but okay, let's move on. You probably should have said they were ghost types. They're ghost types. There we go. Well, that's how ghost types are made. <laughs> so what happens next, Keith? Let's stop talking about so, this. So, much like the beginning of uh, the red, blue, green storyline, this one is kind of jumping place to place as Yellow's going on adventures trying to get information and building up their team. Uh, they end up teaming up, funny enough, mainly with Bill. Bill is kind of the big person in the story arc that's just with Yellow all the time. Oh, that reminds me. I actually want to go back a second just talk about Bill's The horrifying Bill Rattata? The horrifying Bill Rattata. And also, the way they address the Pokemon storage system. Because in the game's Pokemon storage system is literally you just putting Pokemon into a computer. And then from any other computer, you can pull the Pokemon back out. The way it's addressed in the fucking Pokemon Adventure comics is, first of all, Bill isn't working on like a weird thing to swap Pokemon spirits or something. It's he's working on a teleporter so you can teleport from one thing to another thing, specifically for Pokemon. And then he just ends up accidentally getting inside of it and being teleported while Rattata's in the other one and swapping souls with it. Um, Merging their bodies, making him into a weird amalgam with the head of Bill, body of a Rattata, and Rattata teeth. It really makes me want to see what was in the other side of the teleporter. Because in the games, it's just Bill, but he can't speak. It's just a human being. 
in the comics, I feel like they'd have to show it, and it would be a human body with a rattata head. Horrifying. <laughs> uh, regardless, the way they handle the Pokemon storage system is you're not putting the Pokemon in the PC. It's just from anywhere in the world, Bill will teleport the Pokemon up to like his cottage or some shit, and then he just like keeps them in a room there. And when you need them, he'll just teleport them back to you. Yeah, and it even kind of sounds like that he's only doing it for Red. <laughs> Yeah, like, to the point where after Red gets fucking dunked on by Team Rocket and he goes to his PC, he finds that all of his Pokemon have been taken from there as well. No one else addresses that happening to them because they weren't storing Pokemon through Bill. Also, he was just getting, like, 18. Oh, no. So, specifically in that situation, the Red wasn't teleporting his Pokemon to Bill. He was sending them to Professor Oak specifically. Okay. Okay. So when they destroyed Pallet Town, they could just take his Pokemon from Oak. Okay. Mm. Regardless, it didn't seem like this was a service being provided to everyone. It seemed like it was specific. Uh, to- it, it does get confirmed that uh, anyone can use this service in the second half. Okay. Uh, but their adventure goes on. They end up being attacked by uh, just, you know, random people. It's Lorelai is another person that shows up that's fighting them uh, that they're trying to escape from. Bruno never actually makes an appearance, but his Hitmonlee, which is a special Hitmonlee, which not only its legs extend, but its arms extend too. But, like, Hitmonlee's whole thing is, is like, alright, whatever, yeah, okay. Bruno trained this Hitmonlee so hard, it does both. Okay. Because uh, I think if you had to give a, like, a special power, like, level to, like, the Elite Four in an order, Lance is obviously top dog. Bruno is honestly probably second. Yeah. Okay, I'll accept that. Within the uh, plot of the storyline, anyways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyways, we find out that the other two trainers, so Green and Blue... Green uh, is aware that Red's been missing for a while, and we find out that they're the one who actually sent Yellow off on the adventure to find, so go get the Pikachu, hide your identity. Fucking Yellow ruins that immediately. We say, I'm Yellow from the Viridian Forest in the first encounter with a villain. Of course. Uh, Green's also the one that notifies the other gym leaders. And Blue, on the other hand, is like, hmm, there's someone else around here, and then goes into the electric plant and ends up fighting Agatha. Okay. Uh, and Agatha has a specific, a specific problem with him due to the fact that he's Oak's son. Our oh. grandson. Ooh. A little history there. Interesting. Uh, this ends up culminating, and we find out that there seems to be a bigger plan at play, and Super Nerd shows up. That's right, Super Nerd, your favorite character from Pokemon games. The one that gave you the uh, fossil in uh, the original Williams. Excellent. Yeah, he's, a, he's a villain now who's apparently being mind controlled by Ghastly, oh sent by Agatha, to specifically kill Pikachu and now Yellow, so that they can't find out where Red is. Okay. Okay, so the Elite Four are definitely the bad guys. That's be made abundantly clear. It gets worse. Okay. Uh, so they end up with the help of the uh, gym leaders. Fight off uh, Super Nerd, who also stole the underwear gloves. Yeah, of course. So Pikachu was useless in the fight. But we end up finding out that Yellow almost has the same knack for fighting like Red does. Where uh, the only difference is Yellow will actively take the hits for the Pokemon in the Pokemon fight. And uh, at the same time, it's a Rattata, a Duduo, and a Pikachu. Like, they have like the lowest of lowest Pokemon. Yep. So after this... Yellow's like, well, I need to, you know, go fight to, you know, uh, I have to fight off the Elite Four and save Red, because they have Red. Mm-hmm. And some of the gym are like, okay, you're going to need some Pokemon here, take some of our Pokemon. So he ends up getting, like, an Omnistar and a Geodude. <laughs> or is it Omnimite? 
It's the first one. Omnimite is the first Omnimite. one. Omnistar is the evolved. They, they, get, yeah. they get the first form Pokemons. Okay. Of course, this is a Pokemon trainer who we've already established does not like evolved form Pokemon. But uh, Yellow ends up running into the same problem where I need to get across the water, but I can't surf. So I need a Pokemon that can surf. Wait a second. There's a tournament going on here where they're giving out a Dratini. Ooh. So just before the tournament starts, what's that? The Dratini ends up looking at the town a bit weird and its eyes glaze over. And who's standing behind it? Lance. Of course oh it is. God. We find out Lance can mind control dragon Pokemon. Dang. And you know what he does? What? Hyper Beans, Vermilion City, and everyone dies. Jesus, okay. Wait, actually? Yeah, Lance just levels Vermilion City. Oh my what god. What the fuck? And he takes off. And then Yellow's like, I gotta stop this guy. So Yellow with... Yeah? Yellow with the duo... I think a Slowpoke at this point, um, Omstar, or Omnimite, uh, Pikachu also, is chasing after uh, Lance, who has... City-leveling powers! Dragonite, oh or, uh, uh, Gyarados, and uh, uh, Aerodactyl. Regardless of the Pokemon he has, we have seen him level an entire fucking city, and she's chasing after him with a bunch of fucking Scrublord Pokemon. Yeah. Oh my so the fight goes back and forth a bit here. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous part of this whole thing. Well, it's more so that because Yellow is able to heal the Pokemon, Fair. they have a really strong endurance to fighting, I guess, is the best way to put it. All right. And Lance is also kind of curious about like what this person's doing. Like, oh, you're chasing me. That's strange. I mean, I'm just looking for something, and the city was in the way. But now that you're chasing me this far, I have to kill you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, I can't remember the exact circumstances, but Lance effectively just has to leave and not bother confirming that Yellow's dead. Of okay. course. And so due to the fallout of Vermilion City going down and Yellow losing to uh, Lance, they realize they need to get stronger and learn how to actively, you know, fight and all that stuff. So they end up coming across Blue, who agrees to teach them. Ooh. So Blue ends up putting their training regiment, but the first task is, oh, there's a Caterpie, Caterpie there. The important thing about this Caterpie is back when they were in Celadon, when Super Nerd attacked, uh, Yellow actively put themselves in danger to save this Caterpie. Oh. And it followed all the way here. It's like, you gotta capture that Caterpie. Oh, and no. I was like, oh, how do you do that? It's like, well, first you have to weaken the Pokemon, and then you throw the Pokemon at it. And then Blue kind of walks up and like, yeah, it's an easy one. I don't know how long it's gonna take, but I'll come back to it, like, you know, later in the day. It comes back, it's still there. It's like, I can't attack the Caterpie! <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to weaken a Pokemon! <laughs> yeah, of course. Because, uh, and then we find out here that uh, and I'm going to ask, how do you even catch Pokemon at this rate? It's like, oh, I've captured a lot of Pokemon, almost all of them. But I only want friends, so I release them. And so Yellow specifically is looking for friends, not Pokemon to battle with. So Yellow's that actually really good at capturing Pokemon, but if they don't want to be with Yellow, Yellow just releases them. That, huh. Like, that sounds cool and all that, but all, that also makes Yellow sound like the most immensely sad character. Because their whole thing is not... They want to catch Pokemon. They just want to make friends and catching Pokemon is the only way they know how to do that. Well, they, they live, did live in Viridian Forest. Yeah. Uh, and the only Pokemon that they keep are the ones that are active, like, want to stay with them and be friends stuff. So they have six now. Yeah. yeah but anyways, it, Yellow does it, end up learning how to fight and capture the Caterpie without injuring it. Interesting. I mean, sure, there's attacks that don't do damage. String shot. Repeatedly. Yeah. Until it's stuck in place for all eternity. Essentially paralyzed. Now, the fun thing's going on here is, well, this is, training's all going on. It's when Radita finally evolves oh. into Eradicate. Oh. And then Yellow just gets so upset. It's like, oh no, it's not cute anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Radita's a little upset. It's like, I'm, and then like this custody, it's like, oh, I'm so sorry, Radita. Like, you're still my, you're still my little ratty. 
which is the nickname for it. Of course. Uh, and I, I still love you regardless. <laughs> I was just caught off guard. But then from this point on, Yellow actively likes when we find out that hit the B button releases the thing that stops it from falling. And from this point on, Yellow refuses to let the Pokemon evolve. <laughs> I just... I like the idea of fucking Yellow being there, like... Not worried about letting the Pokemon evolve because they'll become ugly, but just the idea of Yellow being like... What if they evolve and they don't want to be my friends anymore once they're powerful? I have to stop them from evolving so they don't have that realization. Uh, so while this is going on, we also have kind of a side plot with Green. So Green ends up sneaking in, breaking into, I guess is the better way, into Bill's house to hack into the trading system to find out what's been going on with Red's Pokemon. And then Bill ends up waking up and he's like about to like sneak up behind her and all of a sudden Blaster just pauses like, what's up? <laughs> and he's like, oh, good thing. I was just about to wake you up, Bill. I need to access Red's thing because if he doesn't have Pikachu anymore, he would need to fill out his last Pokemon slot and I want to see if he's pulled a Pokemon out. Oh. So he find, we find out that there's something called the Pokemon Council and he could risk, you know, getting fired or something if he were to uh, give away user information and stuff like that. Uh, so we do know that there's a lot of other people using the system. All right. Okay. But then to pack into it and find out that Red did pull another Pokemon into the system recently, and it was Eevee. Ooh, interesting. Is it the magic Eevee? Yeah. It was the it's one the only was experimented on. It's no longer magical, though. Yeah. Oh. Because that was part of saving its life. They had Oh, to. right, yeah. They took off the enhancements. So that ends up happening. And then Yellow... Uh, hap- like So they're training by the water, obviously, because Yellow can't get across the water. And it just so happens that when they finish the training, the SSN is going by. And then uh, Yellow's like, oh, I know, I'll hop on that. And then you go on your way, Blue, and we'll meet back up at some point. So Yellow's main goal at this point is getting to Vermilion to speak to Blaine. Okay. Sure. Not Vermilion. Uh, Cinnabar? Cinnabar. Cinnabar. Uh, so while they're on the boat, uh, they end up, uh, like, bomb goes off on the boat, destroying the engine. To be fair, from what we've seen, uh, there's usually exploding Pokemon on boats. So yeah, sure, I accept that. Well, it's... The remnants of Team Rocket are trying to take over, and they make it very clear that the uh, Triad uh, and Giovanni have disappeared, and they're not around, so we're now Team Rocket. Of course. So, Yellow, we get to see their training in action finally. They end up fighting off Team Rocket with, you know, all these level 1 Pokemon that refuse to be leveled up. Yeah. In fact, when they see the Pokemon, like, this is a running joke that happens from this fun, where people see Yellow's Pokemon, and they find it's like, you're, you're kidding, right? <laughs> <laughs> Your strongest Pokemon's Eradicate. What the fuck are you doing? It's like, I don't like that one anymore! <laughs> but yeah, Yellow ends up beating them, saving the people on the boat, and the boat sinks just outside of Vermillion. Of course. So this is when we end up talking to the Pokemon fanatic guy that runs the Pokemon fan club. Of course. And we find out at the bottom of the water, there's a special stone, which the uh, evolution stones grew out of. It has four on there, which is the uh, water, electric, fire, and... Leaf? I, I can't remember if they one. I think it was a grass one. Yeah, it was a grass one. Grass. Okay. The leaf stone. And Yellow's like, I need to get those stones because this was apparently what Team Rocket used to get their experiment idea going. So Yellow's like, I need to get these stones to make sure it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. So we got the little mission where Yellow's now trying to collect six magical stones to destroy yeah. the universe, of course. Uh, the, this arc is mainly just a problem with a bunch of tentacles that they're all angry and want to destroy what's remaining of Vermilion City. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. What? <laughs> All right. I just being brought up now. Matt pointed out that uh, originally, when Red first arrived in Vermilion City and went to the fan club, he was shown a newspaper article, 
And it was about a girl swearing that she would never take a bath with her tentacle ever again. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what ends up happening here is uh, it's a bunch of tentacles that want to destroy the city and then ends up getting uh, discovered through through the telepath ability of Yellow that, oh, there's just a baby tentacle that's trapped under a rock. So he frees that, gets the stone, but oh, three of the stones are missing and only the leaf stone remains. Oh. And at this point, Evie didn't have a grass evolution. Cool. Curious. Yep. All right. So what happens next? <laughs> so uh, it's like a little bit of like stories here and there as Yellow makes their way to Cinnabar Island. Uh, they end up talking to Blaine. We find out that Blaine has been training with the Mewtwo uh, and getting ready for uh, this final showdown because the uh, Elite Four are specifically trying to do something on an island and apparently they also have a hold of that original object that Team Rocket was using in the first part. Oh. Ooh. Okay. Some alerts go off. They're like, oh, we got to get to this spot. Blaine's like, yo, this is exactly how you get to the spot that we need to go to. I'll catch up to you later. And Yellow runs off and he's like, okay, now I'm going to take the shortcut together because I need to get there before Yellow. (laughs) (laughs) Blaine is like great for that throughout the series because we didn't really explain it earlier. But when fucking Red saves Blaine in the first arc, Blaine's just like, all right, you need to go to my lab. You've got this amber. Cool. Have fun. And Red gets to the lab and he's like, what am I doing? Why am I here? And then a fucking Rapidash hands him a book. He's like, has to read an entire fucking textbook about Pokemon revivification. To find out that, oh, Blaine wanted me to come here and turn the Amber into an Aerodactyl and bring the Aerodactyl back to fight the Moltres. But it's just like, Blaine is great at sending children off with half the fucking information that they might need. Well, there's a good reason for this, though. Because when uh, Blaine gets to the chamber, I guess, I think it's the Seafoam Islands is where this happens. There's some more people there. And essentially, at this point, the combined group consists of Blaine, uh, Green, Blue, Bill... Surge, uh, darn, what's her name? It's like a lady. Sabrina. Uh, Sabrina. Sabrina and Koga. So the uh, triad's there. No Giovanni to be seen. And they're like, so you guys are going to take down the Elite Four? We also want to take down the Elite Four. Alliance between the triad and the remaining characters. Huh. They kind of have discussion like, oh, they're all here. They're going to do their big plan. We need to take them down. But the Elite Four members are super powerful, so we can't defeat them on our own. And then, of course, Yell ends up showing up. It's like, hey, why didn't we get here before me? Like, there's no real purpose to this, aside from just the reveal of, like, oh. And then the alliance is already made by the time Yellow shows up. Also, at this point, we see... Uh, I, I skipped over because I forgot about it until now. But before this all happens, where they get to the Blaine part as well, it's revealed they do find what looks like Red uh, over in the Indigo area. Now, uh, the Plateau area. But he's fully encased in ice. And it was like, oh, no, he's dead. Because it's been a week that he's been encased in ice, something like that. And then we end up finding out, because then there's photos from behind uh, that Brock discovered and sent off. Because Brock went over to check to see what happened. Mm-hmm. The back of it looked like it was broken open and someone escaped from it. So, where's Red? We found where he was, but where is he now? And then we, uh, the super nerd finally gets unmind controlled by the Ghastly and explains that he tried to break the ice. He was there with the team that found it initially, but the ice couldn't be broken. And then he showed his own photo and then there's like a person in the back and they can't really make it who they are. Of course. It's like, hmm, there's another person at play here that freed Red. Hmm. The plot thickens. (laughs) Giovanni, I'm assuming. So, uh, to make the teams, Sabrina's like, we're going to use something I have called the Spoons of Destiny. Everyone take a spoon. The spoon immediately points to another spoon. That's your team member. (laughs) Oh my god. So the team members, I'm sure you're not going to be too surprised, but we get Blaine and Yellow. Yep. Blue and Koga. Yes. 
And then Green and uh, Sabrina. Sabrina. Yep. And then Surge's spoon doesn't point to anybody because Bill's holding the other spoon. And it's like, oh, I guess the spoons only work if you have the will to fight. And Surge says, yeah, I guess uh, plot wise, he actually acknowledges plot wise, I should have been teamed up with Red, but I guess I'm stuck with you. Picks up Bill and runs off to fight. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty fucking great. Uh, so the fights end up breaking down. The first one we get is we have Surge and Bill encounter uh, Bru- uh, yeah, Bruno. Uh, and it's like, to get past you, you have to defeat me, blah, blah, blah. We find out Bruno's mind is kind of all fucked up. Okay. And we actually got flashbacks uh, leading up to this point, too, of, of the original fight with Red and Bruno, where uh, Bruno actually is just a friendly guy. He's like, I want to fight the strongest guy. We're going to like uh, have like an f- enthralling fight. I don't really care about anything else. And the fight actually is going pretty good. And there's a point where the fight almost goes, uh, it goes underground because of, he's using an onyx. And then he acts like, wait, 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 stop. We gotta pause this fight. And then you see a bunch of diglets going by. He's like, we'll fight after they're gone. <laughs> so Bruno's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then Lorelai and Agatha show up and it's like, oh, we actually need your badges. Because you're the only person that has all the badges because you're the champion. Huh. And no one has seen Giafani in like three years. <laughs> Since you were the last person that fought him, so we need the Earth Badge. Because there's a secret compartment in that middle of that machine that if you open up, there's a spot for the Earth Badge. As I expected. Yeah. Uh, So they end up freezing him in ice. Pikachu got away, and that was the last we saw him. That's also right after we get the reveal of he's not in there anymore. The ice thing, even though the ice sculpture of him is still there, the back's missing because he got pulled with the back. (laughs) Uh, Then the next encounter we get is Koga and Blue uh, against Agatha. Okay. And then the counter after that is we get Green and Sabrina versus Lorelai. Yep. Now, uh, for the first fight revolved, that's the Agatha one. So we find out the backstory of Agatha and why she hates Gary. Uh, not Gary. Blue. Blue motherfucking Oak, yeah. Yep. And because of... Uh, it was Professor Oak. Because apparently they were both trainers from Pallet Town. And they both had a different idea of what Pokemon should be. So Oak wanted to make a Pokemon encyclopedia and like teach about Pokemon, but Agatha's like strongest Pokemon, all that needs to live, blah 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 stuff and power. And to prove his point in the final fight of the tournament, he used a Kangaskhan and specifically used Digipunch on her ghost Pokemon, knowing it would do nothing to prove a point. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And it pissed her off so much she's held a grudge for years. Oh my god. That's amazing. Because he also won the tournament. <laughs> Fucking of course he did. Yep. To beat Agatha, well, just, you know, BMing her constantly with Dizzy Punch, Dizzy Punch, Dizzy Punch. Fantastic. So, uh, obviously, Koga and Blue end up teaming together to fight against her. She's using ghost Pokemon, so they have a little bit extra they have to do. Uh, we find out Koga's Arbok is still alive. The one I got cut in half. Of course. And it's because uh, Arboks all have specific patterns on them. And the pattern that's on them is their power, and each Arbok has a unique ability. Some have, you know, faster speed, some have stronger poison, all that stuff. Agatha's is specifically, it can change its patterns to change what it does. And we find out that what Koga's is, is as long as its head is still intact, it regrows the rest of its body. Oh my god. That's kind of funny, yeah. Yeah. Because there's a multiple times where it gets sliced in half in this fight, and it just immediately grows back its body. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Agatha's, like, final, like, ace in the hole after they defeat her is the Gengar still up, and it's in their shadows and it's trying to take them out. And then eventually they end up beating the Gengar, catching her, and then she's like, oh, I'm gonna use the last of my power to escape, and she leaves. Sure. Yeah. And then Koga's like, we defeated the Elite Four member, and uh, I don't need to work with you anymore, so I'm leaving too. And he just leaves. 
Of course. Even though there's three other late four members out. Koga's part in this arc is done, and we just accept that he's gone. Yep. Uh, then with the Lorelei, uh, uh, Sabrina, and Green fight, in this one, uh, Lorelei realizes they're both really strong and deceptive, so in order to make sure I know what's going on, I'm locking them both together with ice, so they got ice cuffs stuck to each other, so they're stuck having to work together. And almost immediately, Green is knocked out, so it's Sabrina fighting on her own against Lorelai <laughs> for most of this fight, carrying around. Oh my god. And then we find that Lorelai has, like, these voodoo dolls or something, and it's like, as long as these voodoo dolls are connected, you guys are gonna be connected, so ha And then Green ends up waking and is like, well, I have a plan for that. It attacks the dolls, and it's like, no, you fool! And it blows off Green's arm on the doll, and then Green's arm comes off. Oh. And then Sabrina, yeah. and Sabrina's forced to fight, and all that stuff that's going on. Ooh. And then, uh, all of a sudden, uh... Lorelai ends up, like, losing, uh, because she ends up getting attacked from an angle she didn't expect, and then she looks, and it sees it's green, and she's like, ha ha, and it goes back to the one laying on the ground, and it oh. turns into Ditto. <laughs> of course it does. And it's the fucking, of course Sabrina it does. Sabrina gets pissed off, because, like, we were handcuffed together that whole time, and it was your fucking Ditto? <laughs> <laughs> Sabrina's right to be pissed off! <laughs> oh my god. So they end up defeating Lorelai. And then the fight with uh, Bruno and... Um, uh, honestly, it's Bruno versus Serge. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Bill's not participating. Yeah. But Yellow and Blaine are on the other side of, like, an ice mirror that they can see the fight going on. And it's looking pretty bad for Serge. Like, there's fighting over an acid pool, and Serge thinks he knocks uh, Bruno into it, but Bruno uses his machant... Uh, no, sorry, his Hitmonlee's extending arm to grab on to uh, his magneton field that let him fly above the field. And just before Serge is about to fall into the poison, we see a spoon, and it points in a direction. You're like, it's red! Hold on. And then the red comes bursting through the fucking wall on a bicycle! <laughs> <laughs> and he's using Eevee and three evolution stones. So apparently the experimentation, they remove the thing that made it change at will, but he can still change it between the forms using the stones. Okay. So once he evolves it once with the stone, it's not stuck in that form, it goes back, and he can swap between them. So he ends up getting his final showdown with Bruno. Bruno, losing, says, I can't remember what's going on. Apparently Agatha was mind-controlling him. Of course. Uh, but I got to fight you, and that's all I really wanted, so I'm done here. And then he just kind of, like, did the whole, like, walks into the sunset thing, and we never see Bruno again. Of course. Well. So while this fight was going on, and due to Red bursting through the fucking wall, the thing that Blaine and uh, Yellow are standing in, or sitting in, collapses underneath them and they fall fall, uh, far bottom into the seafoam island and there's Lance so then we get the showdown of Lance and his dragon Pokemon end up uh, fighting against Mewtwo because pretty much Blaine he pulls up this glove thing and he's like let's fight my brother and then he pulls up Mewtwo and they're fighting because they have to be in vicinity if they're Blaine is at the point where he can use Mewtwo outside of the Pokeball without them taking serious damage both Mm -hmm. of them for three minutes. So okay. he's like, we have to defeat Lance in three minutes. Yellow stand back because your Pokemon are shit. <laughs> Fair. So Blaine fights him. Ends up actually pushing Lance pretty far back because of just how strong Mewtwo is. But uh, pretty much we see Blaine collapse because it's gone a little bit too far. Right. And he's like, well, you could probably defeat me, Mewtwo, but if you did, you're going to kill your master. Can you do that? And then Mewtwo puts himself back in the ball and he pretty much hops back into Yellow's hand. It's like, what's that, Mewtwo? You want me to finish the fight because you don't want to harm your master? <laughs> so then it comes down to Yellow versus Lance. They end up chasing... Real quick, do you want to just readdress what Yellow's team is during this fight against a god? Uh, so he's got Radicate, uh, Omnite... Uh, Doduo still? 
I think he has a graveler right now, actually. Okay. The duo. Oh, does he still have the Caterpie caught, or is that gone? Oh, yeah, he has the Caterpie. Okay. Pikachu's just kind of here. Okay. So he's using seven, I guess. <laughs> okay. Jeez. All right, yeah, that seems like a great team to take on a bunch of dragons. So they as end well up as having, legendary birds. So we find out that what Lance is going to do is he's going to take this item to the top of the volcano, because there's a volcano here, and he's going to use it to enslave the world's Pokemon and have them wipe out humanity. Because humans need to be eradicated from the world. And at the same time... To be honest, I don't disagree. Uh, Pokemon start attacking all of the gym leader cities, and we also get like little battles here and there of the gym leaders trying to hold off the uh, mind-controlled Pokemon armies. Huh. So, uh, Lance uh, is pretty much gathering all of the badges up here at the top, and Yellow shows up, it's like, I gotta stop you, blah blah blah, and they get ready to fight. And it looks like Yellow's about to be defeated when all of a sudden an attack comes out of nowhere. Uh, and at this point, uh, I should all say, Lance has revealed himself to also be a Viridian child. Okay. Of course. So he has the same abilities. He's healed his Pokemon during fights, and he's stronger affiliation to Dragon-type Pokemon. Mm. But the attack comes out of nowhere, stopping him from defeating Yellow, and then Giovanni steps in. And he's like, I'm gonna kick your ass, pretty much. And he's like, <laughs> getting ready to fight. And then he was like, you can't, only a Viridian child can stop him. He looks up and is like, I'm also a Viridian child. So we find out why Giovanni's so strong, because he also has the Viridian powers. Oh my god. <laughs> of course, yeah, no, might as well have every character be a Viridian child, I mean, right? Actually, it's only these three that ever come up. Of course. It makes sense since, well, his gym's right by the Viridian forest. Yeah. But he ends up fighting off Lance for a while, but then we find out that Lance had planned this, because now that Giovanni's there, he doesn't have to find the Earth Badge, because Giovanni brought it to him. So he activates this thing. He's like, huh, I didn't actually need this stupid device. I just need the badges on this island because this island is just one really big device. Oh, okay. So the old volcano starting to wake up and then some, suddenly a giant bird Pokemon that you can't really make out. You only see the silhouette. It looks like it's Lugia. Pops out from uh, the bottom of the ocean and is like looking over the island. And he's like, I need to get that Pokemon to capture because once I have it, I can destroy humanity. Yellow's like, I need to stop them. They fly off and they're about to have the showdown. And this whole showdown's in the air, by the way. Of course. Epic. Because Yellow realizes, because he doesn't have his Pokedex anymore because it was destroyed, I can't stop my Pokemon from evolving, and I need them to evolve for this fight. So all of his Pokemon evolve to the final level. Even the Graveler! <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I So I spent a second looking at the major plot details of some of the later chapters when we were on a break there for somebody to use a bathroom. I forget which one of you. And I literally saw the second last chapter is blank evolves into blank in... Blank evolves into blank. Blank evolves into blank. Blank evolves into blank. It's like, alright, so Yellow just fucking gave up on having unevolved Pokemon and well, all their Pokemon lost his, uh, So uh, Yellow lost their Pokedex, so they couldn't stop the evolutions anymore, but realized they needed to. So we have the final showdown of Lance versus all these final form Pokemon from Yellow. Yellow just wipes the floor with Lance. Lance is defeated, and the day is saved. Because they defeated him, the uh, Pokemon line control stops and all that fun stuff. And then we kind of get a little epilogue of all the like characters doing what they're doing stuff. And, you know, Yellow enjoys their time. Yellow ends up keeping Pikachu because Pikachu's built a strong bond with them because Pikachu's from Viridian Forest. And we find out that each Viridian gym lead, uh, each Viridian child has a specific Pokemon that they have a bond with from the Viridian Forest. Yellow is Pikachu. Um, Giovanni uses a Beedrill. That's like, that's odd. He's an Earth. Well, the Beedrill's the Viridian Pokemon, so he has really strong control on that one. Okay. And he did the same move where the Beedrill had, like, the thing up to Lance's throat before he found out, oh, I yeah. did you here. And uh, I think with Lance, it's specifically the Dragonite. Okay. Dragonite, that Pokemon we all famously remember catching in Viridian yes. Forest. 
Well, there's Pokemon that show up there that shouldn't be there. That's I know. a lot of it, right? Yeah. Uh, so everything kind of winds down. It's like everyone goes back to do their own things. Uh, it makes a point of saying that Giovanni and Koga were never seen again. <laughs> Specifically those two. Okay. So Serge and Sabrina presumably were. Yeah. Maybe not in the comics, but they were seen again. Those two fucking never. Okay, yeah. All right, I accept it. Yeah, and that's kind of where that arc ends, ending off the Kanto region. You defeat Lance to save humanity. And at the, uh, they also make some hints at the Johto stuff, because we find out during this, uh, after Green defeats Lorelai, she's like, looks at her Pokeball, it's like, huh, I guess I didn't need to use my secret weapon, and it was Swubble inside of it. Oh. Uh, Lugia okay. was the giant, sh- like, outline Pokemon we saw, obviously. Yeah. And then the final uh, few pages of it is we see Green on the phone with someone, talking about uh, some secret plan, and then it cuts over to the person they're talking to, and we see that they're in uh, Johto, and it's Silver. Interesting. And that's where it ends up, leading into the Johto one. Cool. Neat. Neato and that's Pokemon Adventure, the yellow, blue, green, and uh, red arcs. Yeah. I'd say, the yellow arc, uh, very, very explosive, yeah. I might say. They definitely ramped up the intensity for that fucking arc. That is Pokemon Adventure Comics, blue, green, yellow, red arcs. Yes. Doesn't, uh, deviates a little bit from the games, as you might expect, but, uh... I enjoy the concept that, like, Jimlet... Like, because throughout the games, they do a pretty good job of establishing that the villains are the villains, and the gym leaders, with the exception of Giovanni, have always kind of been on the side of good and trying to prevent the villains, and, yeah. like, the Elite Four also has especially been trying to prevent them. And the comics, at least for this arc, is like, nah, fuck that. Half the gym leaders are shit. The Elite Four, even worse shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. Because Leaf 4 were not tied to the League in any way. It was merely they were just a group of people who wanted power for their own means and their leader wanted to wipe out humanity. Of course. Yeah. Questions? Do we have a question? Favorite Pokemon? What's your favorite Pokemon? How about this one? Because we already established a lot of starter Pokemons. What is your starting Pokemon? Specific for... Like, do you mean an actual starter Pokemon from the games or just like... Kind of like how Red started off with Poliwag. If you could just start with any Pokemon, what Pokemon would you start with? I guess the first Pokemon you've owned in any aspect. Whether that be a toy, a card, or the one you picked in the game. My first would be Pikachu. Because my very first game was Pokemon Yellow. And obviously in Pokemon, your fir- or Pokemon Yellow, your first Pokemon is Pikachu. Uh, I feel like my first was probably actually Charmander. Because I was into the fucking Fire Lizard Boy when I first fucking started that game. In the games, I started with Bulbasaur, but my first ever Pokemon I ever had is technically a Parker Pokemon card because I started with those, and it was a Ponyta. Fair. Yes, on more recent playbacks of the original games, I do tend to prefer Venusaur, or not Venusaur, but I guess technically Venusaur. Venusaur over Charizard and Bulbasaur over Charmander, but when I was a child, I was into the Fire Lizard Boy. Most were. Yeah. Fire Dragon, except he's not really a dragon. Just fire flying. Not even, like, flying at first. He's just like a fire lizard who eventually learns to fly and looks like a dragon, but isn't actually a dragon. I mean, the only Pokemon that had a dragon-type move in the first game was Gyarados. Yep. Yeah. Not even Flying Captain. water. Yeah. The actual dragon Pokemon didn't have dragon-type moves. Yep. Alright, uh, recommendations. What do we recommend? Yes. So, I'm going to recommend the short little anime, Pokemon Origins. It's only a four-episode little short, but it's very similar to uh, Pokemon Adventures in how it follows more closely the actual game's plot. 
and it's more down-to-earth and more realistic in how the world would be. And also culminates in a nice epic fight against Mewtwo at the end. <laughs> uh, I am probably going to recommend the Pokemon trading card game, because I recently got back into that. I recently, I mean, about a year and a half ago. And it holds up surprisingly well. Like, it is still a quite enjoyable game to play. It's actually, because uh, uh, I never really figured out how to play the card game, even though I had the cards. I just kind of collected them. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of like a simplified Magic the Gathering. Yeah, it's kind of like a simplified Magic the Gathering. That's a good way to describe it. But yeah, it's surprisingly enjoyable to play. I actually would recommend, even if you're not a huge fan of Pokemon, pick up a Pokemon card game. Maybe you'll become a fan of Pokemon. Uh, so my suggestion is not Pokemon-related per se, but it's very similar. And that is the game Temtem. So I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but this is a, a game that's very much of Pokemon like inspiration where it's about a bunch of creatures that you can capture, battle with, and all that stuff. And it's actually on Steam that you can play it too. And it just, from what I've played of it, it really captures that feeling of playing Pokemon for the first time. Obviously, if we go into a Pokemon game now, we have a lot of ideas and the plot kind of repeats itself. But Temtem definitely helped. Like, if you feel like, I can't experience Pokemon through that new eyes look anymore, Temtem's definitely a way to look at that and play that game. It's definitely really fun. I'll have to look into it. Yeah. But, um, is that everything? Uh, no, uh, no comments or anything from previous episodes? Uh, we do have a comment, actually. We have a couple things we have to address now, actually. So you go ahead with your comment from a previous episode, and I assume that's what you want to do. So we actually had a comment. Uh, this one we actually missed, so I do apologize. This is back from our My Little Pony episode. Uh, that I'm sure Peter remembers very well. I have no idea what you're talking about. We've never talked about that. <laughs> well, it's funny because the comment is from uh, Tachi Camargo, who states, Love that Peter's ponies were all sassy. Which, uh, definitely here, uh, simplifying of their text to give that impression. That's definitely possible. I read that as I owned ponies who were sassy, and I was deeply confused. Uh, also, we should point out... Uh, someone has actually managed to guess today's episode. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, we're not giving you full marks... Uh, fun fact, it's the same Tachi Camargo. Uh, so we're addressing your comment from an earlier one. Maybe we're only addressing it because you managed to half get this one right, so you're getting some fucking points. Uh, but you guessed that today's topic was Pokemon, which I'm gonna say is close enough to the Pokemon Adventure comics and first generation Pokemon that I'm kind of willing to give it to you. But, uh, yeah, partial marks. You, you, you were close. Closer than anyone else who guessed. Yep. So I think that wraps up most of our stuff. So do make sure to like, favorite, subscribe on YouTube or where you get your podcasts. Write a review. Find us on all podcast platforms as per usual. If you have anything to uh, ask us or suggest, shoot us an email at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Spelt as it is normally spelt in English. How dare you. I'm just kidding. Yeah, go on. There was nothing questionable about that sentence. Yeah. How it's normally spelled in English implies that there's a non-normal way to spell it in English. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Incorrectly. <laughs> you could just spell it wrong. That is an option, and that's not what you should do because you would not find us if you spelled it wrong. Well, yeah. thanks for tuning in, and you can find us again in two weeks from now when we decide to actually talk about a movie based on popular video game series. Uh, about that. Is it possible if we just reschedule? I can't record in two weeks. I got an invi- I got an invitation in the mail. It's kind of weird. It's inviting me out to this weird island. It says, bring your own soul. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs>